This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your host, Dr. Matt Townsend. Top of the morning to you. Great show today. Uh, do you feel like you're overloaded by your email? Is it slowly taking days off of your life? Today we're going to be talking about email overload and uh, how it might be costing you some health, quite honestly. Also, we're going to be making um, maybe a case for football, maybe a case not for football. Uh, we'll be talking about a wonderful um, program that's uh, was at the Sundance Film Festival in Football We Trust. It's a documentary. We'll be speaking with the director of the documentary. It's about how football can help pull uh, some uh, Polynesian kids out of you know gangs, and yet it also makes a case that it might be keeping a lot of people in poverty because they're banking too much on the big uh, the big win with the NFL. And last but not least, a little bit later in the show, we'll be talking about healthier living uh, with, you know, one of our great uh, resources here on BYU campus, Dr. Ron Hager. He's going to probably come here and tell us we need to exercise and stand more. Hmm. Anyway, so here's the deal. I'm about a month, I think, into the Fitbit. I have created a habit pretty much every other day, 10,000 steps. Really? I'm a stepaholic. I make a joke that if I wiggle my arm enough, then I get steps. You spend quite a bit of time of your day sitting. I do. So you must make a, a, just a considered effort to get 10,000. 10,000 is very easy, quite honestly, because just in my day alone, by 5 o'clock, I have 3,500 steps. We have a long building, and that's like 20 trips to the bathroom because I'm consuming more fluids. So, okay. but then if I go walking, I just need to walk around more. that gives me another about 6,000, 5,000. Then I play a little hoops with my boys. Hmm. Not to brag, but I did a you know, monster dunk over my son yesterday All right. on our hoop that was lowered to seven foot. <laughs> it was a good day. Seven foot rims. Seven foot rims. They have leagues you can play in. Did it really? Yeah. For, for smaller rims? If you rims. want to play on seven-foot rims, just you yeah. can dunk on people. Well, no, I don't need a league. I've got kids. Okay. My kids are my league. Mm-hmm. But I'm telling you, the Fitbit is helping a ton. You know, if you took up step aerobics, I bet you could double that. Mm. Yeah. No. <laughs> I don't do step aerobics. Leg warmers, little headband. No. Yeah. I am thinking of doing, um, is it Bikram yoga? Bik- Bikram yoga. Bikram yeah, the sweaty one, yoga. Sweat yoga. That's gross. Uh, I already do sweaty meetings <laughs> and sweaty radio, so I'm going to start some sweaty yoga. There was a uh, studio that did the sweaty yoga. Yeah, since I can't say that name either, um, and it didn't have it had carpet flooring. Oh, yeah. geez. <laughs> did it smell like a wet Labrador? I don't know. I just I heard horror stories. It had carpet flooring, and people were grossed out. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> Yuck. I don't know what it is, but I always... Hardwood. Come on. My my respiratory system collapses every yeah. time I go to Bikram so Yoga. I always get athlete's foot about two days after, or the day <laughs> after so that gross. class. I don't know what it is. So um, anyway, I'm telling you, the fit bit is making me a bit more fit. That's kind of the idea. It's the idea. 
And I'm even noticing because it vibrates on my wrist every time mm-hmm. I've got it. I've got it scheduled, so it's actually helping me keep my appointments more on time. My wife has a uh, the clip-on version. Uh huh. She loves it because you clip it on. No one knows you have it on. No one knows. You're it's just... not a topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. And she comes home and she's all, "All right, ten thousand. That's amazing. That's cool. And she can wear it when she works out. Instead of having to have a phone or yeah. some sort of wrist. Yeah. Hey, uh, today and tomorrow, I'm going to the doctor. I'm starting the procedures on my foot. There you go. They're going <laughs> to cut it off, give Probably. you a bionic foot. Yeah. Uh-huh. Nice. I'm going to have a blade foot. Make those 3D printed oh. hands. They can make 3D printed foot. I need a new foot. I've tried everything. This has to, been two and a half years. You need to get one foot slightly bigger than the other one? I'm going to try to see if I can be taller. Okay. Elevator Just, heels uh-huh. in your foot? I want to, I'm going for six foot. I'm about an inch short of six foot. I'm going for six foot. So wish me luck. Hey, um, the biker gangs. Yes. This is getting crazy. I, I read so much about biker gangs yesterday. Are you wanting to become one now? No, I just I find the whole concept fascinating of why this is something that at some point you're like, yeah, this is a good idea. This is happening. Like These guys are now coming from all over the country. Boom. They're converging. Converging in Texas. So- the Twin Peaks restaurant chain revoked yes. the license from that specific restaurant because Smart. they refused to work with the police officers and they ignored warnings right. from the police. Like the police are like, let's not have a big celebration of bikers. And the, they said, we can't we can't have a, a franchisee that's choosing to do that when the police are trying to help you. So they, they pulled that. Uh, police officers likely killed four of the nine members of the biker gang who ended up dead after the brawl in Waco, Texas Sunday. There were 18 officers on the scene – who responded to the violence within 30 to 45 seconds. Holy cow. 18 so officers. They were in surrounding areas. There were SWAT team members just waiting there, for no, a problem. Knowing something could go down here. Well, you can't really. You can't have 200 or whatever gang members at one restaurant. Yeah. It's just not going to go. Now, the question is, why were the, all those gang members? Yeah. Five, I'm hearing the, different the theories. The story said there was five biker gangs that were there. Yeah. Two of them, the Cossacks and the Banditos, really don't like each other. They say – I heard one idea is that the parking. There's a, there was a, There's great parking, so they – Well, there's a big battle going on to see who's going to control Texas. Yes. And whose name is – you know, who's going to carry the name? Yes. The Cossacks or the Banditos. Banditos. Now, what it says, the judge set bail for a million dollars for each of the 170 <laughs> people that were arrested. Yeah. Now, the story – it's either 170 or 192. Okay, There's so, so many they can't. $192 million in bail. Yes. To get them all out. Because of what happened. Now they're saying Sunday's gathering was a Region 1 meeting of the Texas Confederation of Clubs and Independents, which gathers each month in different Texas cities to discuss new membership, motorcycle rights, and legislative bills that impact oh, riders. So they were there for an association meeting. And this is among other topics. Among, you know, domination now, and drug trafficking. Yeah, who gets what uh, illegal. What are we doing? And this is an expert who we will uh, be reaching out to later. Sometime, yes. Uh, an expert told the Washington Post that the shootout started because the Cossacks, backed by the Hells Angels, challenged the Banditos for control of Texas. Oh, man. This is big league. This is, these are, these are for the rights the, like, ba- the Banditos are a bigger group. They uh-huh. have uh, chapters in multiple cities, multiple yeah. countries. But these are like a tier two the, gang. This is like yeah. top level gang. The Cossacks are a rising mm-hmm. group that want to try to climb the the newbies, the the respect ladder, if you will. And so they're uh, they're challenging the big guys. And that's what happened. Is there was a challenge to their 
uh, I guess, claim on the state of Texas. But this is this is the real deal. Like, we shouldn't laugh. Yesterday we were laughing, no. but these guys, there's going to be retaliation. Yes. And again, the scary thing is, is there going to be retaliation against the police? Because the police ended up getting involved in this as they came out of the bar fight and started turning it to the police. The the police police were just standing there. These guys come out the door shooting at at each other. So they and then they they turn and started shooting at the cops because you have they had to have known the cops are just sitting across. Oh, sure. No, I bet they I'm sure that was like the the cops were hiding. Well, they were just providing security for the association meeting of bikers. Right. The the Confederation of Clubs and Independents. Yeah. CCIs, CCAIs. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, yesterday, the Obama administration acknowledged that ISIS yes. had taken the Iraqi city of Ramadi. Well, they, they acknowledged it. Yes. Okay. It happened over the weekend, and they went, yes, that happened. Instead of uh, uh, the occupation, they said the occupation will be short-lived, the White House said. There's no denying this is a setback, uh, but there's also no denying that we will help the Iraqis take back the city. Uh, I was reading this morning. Mm-hmm. We had just uh, given the Iraqi military 80 new vehicles in that city. Oh, wow. A bunch of new weapons. And there's videos of ISIS uh, soldiers walking into buildings, videoing all the new toys they have with all the weapons and vehicles. Well, and, and imagine just the money in the banks or the imagine just the homes that they're going to loot. And, and so now the – Airstrikes will be targeting brand new vehicles that we just gave. Well, but wasn't it the airstrikes that were trying to stop the takeover of Ramadi well, anyway? I was wondering, you know, we're doing airstrikes. Were they helping mm-hmm. or hurting in this area? A story, ISIS took the city during a sandstorm, nah. which negated any sort of airstrike. The blasted sandstorm. That's how you always win in the desert. So they, they went in during a sandstorm, took the city, and now it's they're in, you know, they're entrenched. But so. what did they call it? It is a setback. Yes. It's a setback when you turned over all of these things. Now, we're going to – here's what just seems inevitable. We have to go in on the ground. And apparently – But they said we're not going to do that. They're going to have to. We have to find somebody else to do that for us. And apparently the Iraqi military is too busy running away to stand and fight. Right. So it's not going to happen. So they're going to keep losing ground unless somebody goes in and fights. I heard speculation that Egypt could be someone who we could – Try to get into the fight here. Hey, who wants to fight the war? <laughs> Anybody here? else want in here? So it's oh, not. Oh my heavens! They really don't want to put. I know they don't. U.S. But, troops on the ground. But I know. But now they're losing all of this ground. That I mean, look at how much blood was lost for Iraq, and now you're losing more. Yes. <sighs> okay. And uh, Chris Christie says, if you have a fear as an individual about NSA, it's just ridiculous. Really, the NSA listening to you and gathering data on you is is of no concern to the individual. You are more likely to die in a biker gang brawl in Waco than having the NSA turn on you. Says when it comes to fighting terrorism, our government is not the enemy, and we shouldn't listen to people like Edward Snowden, a criminal who hurt our country and now enjoys the hospitality of President Putin. Yeah, I don't really worry about the NSA. I worry more just about my survival with yes. my family. Ah, great news. Great news. Hey, uh, anybody, you get too much email? Are you email overloaded? Even if you're not overloaded, do you notice that you're you're looking at your email at the worst time possible? Do you check it while you're at home? Is it impacting your life and your family life? We have a great guest coming up. Uh, Sir uh, Kerry Cooper is going to be joining us. 
He is a distinguished professor of organizational psychology and health at Lancaster University uh, Management School in the UK. He's uh, he's written a really interesting article that's got a lot of people up in arms. We'll be uh, meeting and discussing with Sir Kerry Cooper all about email up next right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, in 1971, Ray Tomlinson developed that the code that allowed him to send an email between two computers. This program has now spread and morphed into something that he never could have imagined. Emailing has changed the way we do business and even live our lives today. But are we emailing too much? What is all this email doing to our personal relationships, to our family life? Today we've uh, we've got a wonderful expert joining us uh, today, uh, Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, a distinguished professor of organizational psychology and health at Lancaster University Management School in Lancaster University in the UK. He's also the chair of the Academy of Social Sciences. He happened to just go present one paper on social media and its impact on work-life balance. And from there, he created quite a stir about email, and, uh, you know, we've, we wanted to talk to him about it. Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Yeah, good to meet you, Matt. Great to have you on the show. Now, we have to just address the title, Sir. So you have, you have been knighted? Yeah, I'm a dual citizen. I'm an American. I, was at, um, I did my uh, MBA, my undergraduate degree, my MBA at UCLA. I'm a, from L.A. I'm an L.A. boy. Oh, great. And I came over to England uh, over 45 years ago to, uh, to come for a year and ended up doing a Ph.D. here and have never left. Did you really? So I'm, uh, and I became a British citizen about 25 years ago, and I was knighted by the Queen last year. How Congratulations. What an honor. Thank you. There can't be a, so there can't be a lot of... Those American British citizens, right, that no, are knighted. There are not many. There are not many. I'm very, very proud of it. Well, that is that. All my family, of course, are dual citizens, so all my kids are British and American. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, we we appreciate you joining us. And this topic no is real. You were just putting together a paper, right, a, pr- a presentation for a conference, and then I, I yep. guess some of your comments about email created a little firestorm. A little bit. Well, what I was doing is I, it was the British Psychological Society, the equivalent of the American Psychological Association. So the British Psychological Society's annual conference, I gave a keynote address, and I was talking about mental well-being in the workplace. How do we enhance our well-being, reduce the stress levels, and talking about the research on it. Yeah. And one of the things I mentioned in the talk, it was an hour talk to an audience of probably about a thousand people, was, you know, just the fact that electronic overload, that emails were actually, were supposed to be our social support system to help us in our work. And what they've become is a major source of stress because people are now overloaded, totally overloaded. And it's because the technology is managing us and we're not managing it. So, for example, um, people are now CCing and everybody else on emails. So we're getting tons of emails People are not telling people who they send emails to the priority of it. People are dumping emails on you. That's one element. So it's about a work overload element. But the second, and I think really worrying element, 
is the fact that they are now all pervasive, that they we're looking at our emails all day long. So if you go to a restaurant in the UK and you see a family sitting at a table, uh, you know, a husband, a wife or partners and two kids, what you're going to see is them all looking at their smartphone. Oh, yeah. Don't you hate and that? they're not talking to one another. Right. And, and they're accessing it at home at night, and they're accessing it at the weekends. You see them on holidays doing that. So actually, work has intruded into people's private life. And we have no idea the long-term impact of this, right? I mean, that we're, we barely have enough data on it. No, we don't. I mean, there is some research on electronic overload. And funny enough, I'm working with a, a professor in a management information systems to look at this as an area and try to collect all the the science that's been done. But there's not a hell of a lot of science yeah. on it, actually. Oh, yeah. But we know, everybody knows, and the fact I just mentioned it in this one conference was picked up by all the media. We're in the, you know, the, the Times and the mm-hmm. Daily Mail. All the media were in my, my talk, and that's the thing they picked up on, and it went viral globally. And it's because we all know it. I mean, yeah. we almost don't need the science. No. We already know that emails intrude in our private lives. It's intuitive. People, yeah, it's intuitive. And I think the other element, which kind of troubles me, is even within a workplace, uh, what you get is you have people sending emails to somebody four desks down oh, or one floor up. So true. So we're avoiding and, each other, really. Well, they're doing it because it's easy. But what they're failing to do is that is not good for team building. It's not good for communications. It's really not good full stop for organizations to have it. In fact, in Britain, there are a number of organizations, public and private sector bodies, who are banning emails within the same building. Really? So you cannot, if you want, yeah. if you want to, you have to go to the guy in the next floor up and talk to them and bring your file with you <laughs> rather than send it by email. You're going to make me move? I mean, really, just, we, we're going to have a guest a little bit later. That's oh, he, his his goal is always to have us standing more and moving more. Just the health benefits of everyone having to go talk to each other exactly. would change everything. By the way, he's, you're absolutely right. I think that's another critical element of it. It's about team building. It's about physicality. Yeah. It's about kind of getting up and everything else. There are even there's several companies and a couple in the U.S. now who have decided that because they keep giving guidelines, a lot of senior management say to their staff, here's what we want you to do. We don't want you to access your emails at the weekend unless it's urgent. We want you really not to do it too much at night when you get home, you know, work-related emails. Yeah, yeah. Just forget about it. Rest, recuperate. And because they're not hearing the message, there are companies now shutting off their server at night and over the weekend. Yeah, you're not accessing work. Stop people accessing their emails. So I think we've got to learn how to manage it better. I think we have to do something because it's taking us over. I love that idea. I mean, and it's I mean it's extreme, but there are some people that will never stop. And and I do a lot of work with couples, and you know a lot of times we think that you know divorce is not impacting my business life, but it entirely is. So if I if I don't have healthy relationships at home, it's going to impact my work life. And yet my work life is also impacting my home relationships. It's a big system, isn't it? No, no, you're right. It is a vicious circle because it's certainly the case that if you go home and you say, oh, well, you know, because it's so easy, isn't it? Sure. With a smartphone, with an iPhone or some other smartphone, it's so easy. Just say, well, just take a look. 
the minute you take a look and you see an email, you say, well, well don't worry, dear. I'll be back in 15 minutes. I've got, I've yeah. got to deal with this. Then you start, And then how about your kids who say, hey, Dad, um, you know, help me with my math. Uh, just one minute. I'll, have to, uh, I'll be there in 20 minutes. I mm. just got to deal with this email. And, and I think it's become very disruptive to people's personal lives. Great technology. We need it. I'm not a Luddite saying yeah. we should dump it. I'm just saying let, let's manage the technology rather than let it manage us. Yeah, we, we, need to, we need to take it over. Again, we're talking with Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, uh, who really just, to me, I love it that something as simple as, you know, you know, talking honestly about emails and the impact they're having on our work-life balance would create such a stir. But uh, he's teaching us some pretty interesting information that we already know in our hearts, but we, we need some more tools, I think. Let's take a break. We'll come back more with Professor Sir Kerry Cooper and uh, hopefully get some more ideas for how, how we turn it off a little bit more. What are some rules we should be using with our own email management and uh, what we could bring to our companies to make email a healthier part of our work life, not something that uh, slowly tears us apart emotionally, physically. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Taking care of business. Checking your email. The funny thing about it is we set our emails to go off every time you get one. Are you kidding me? So if you get 100 emails a day, your phone's going to vibrate 100 times? You better answer it. That little distraction is going to take you minutes to get back on track. Uh, Joining us is uh, Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, um, from Lancaster University uh, Management School in Lancaster University in the UK. He uh, is the author of a book or of an article, Work Email is Making Us a Generation of Idiots, Time to Switch Off. And that comes from a quote Albert Einstein once wrote. He said, I fear the day that technology will surpass our human interaction. The world will then have a generation of idiots. <laughs> But you know what? It's so true. Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, welcome back to the show. Yeah, he, he, was, uh, he could foresee it, couldn't he? Yeah, he totally could. It was could. great foresight. He didn't foresee emails. No. <laughs> he would yeah. have been decimated by that. Yeah, can you imagine? But, I mean, but we are becoming kind of idiotic even in just how we respond to it. Like, it is our master. Oh, it is totally. I mean, there are things I think we can do, Matt. Okay, yeah. so let me, let me tell you some of the things I think we could do. Yes. Number one, we should never CC in other people unless they're absolutely fundamental to the email. But because everybody's trying to cover their backside, yeah, exactly. what they tend to do is copy in everybody in the workplace, you know, uh, let their boss know what they're doing. Look how hard their, I'm working. You know, yeah. Uh, their boss's boss know what they're doing. Everybody, even if it's irrelevant directly to them. Yeah. So I think if we all said, okay, no CCing in anybody unless they're directly implicated in what this is all about. Hmm. That's one. Love it. Second thing is, I think, when we send emails to other people, we should tell the other people the priority of it. So say, for instance, the other day I got, say, 60 emails. I was in a meeting for two or three hours. 
two and a half hours, and I got 60 emails in that period of time. So because I didn't know what the priority of it was, I knew most of the people who'd done it. It wasn't spam because I have a spam filter anyway. Yeah, yeah. I had to open up every email. Now, if I had got an email from Fred and it would have said really high priority, high priority being I need your response today. And you know who Fred is. So if Fred's your boss and you have a high priority, you know exactly where it fits. You know, there'll be situations in which I won't know them. But if it's all people that you know and you work with on a regular basis, if they said it's high priority or medium priority, defining that as I need a response today, I don't need a response for the next couple days, I don't need a response for a week, Hmm. or this is just informational. Mm -hmm. You know, so that way we can do what we used to do when we got snail mail, when we got letters what we would do is most people who were reasonably effective managers of their of their work would you know uh, prioritize it with right. that stack i have to deal with today the next stack i have to well we have to do the same and the other option of course is just to print off all your emails and stack them up but that's taking time too yeah exactly so i think the best thing is we we need that to to happen as well i think the notion that nobody should be able to nobody should send an email to the same person to people in their office building unless the building's a 30-story building <laughs> yeah right story building with a really if slow elevator a right. two or three-story building good to get up and walk anyway yeah very important eyeball to eyeball interaction good for team building do not allow emails to be sent to anybody in the same building. Well, see, and I, you know what's um, interesting? I like sending emails because I don't want to interrupt the person. But in reality, it's it is making me so I don't I don't get to know people. I don't have a relationship, a one on one, an eye to eye. I'm not learning. I'm not exactly. strengthening those skills. Yeah, in, in, indeed, I think there's sometimes as well. If you've got a difficult problem with somebody. Right. Yeah. And we all do, whether it's a customer or a patient or a student or whoever, a colleague, a work colleague or a boss. The worst thing you can do is send an email. If there's any difficulty in the relationship or the thing you're talking about is kind of personal and difficult, you should always do that on a telephone or eyeball to eyeball. You should never, ever do that sort of thing by email. It's just not a good way to, to respond. And also that applies to companies. Companies should never send difficult messages to employees Mm. by email. So a difficult message might be we're being taken over. Yeah. Uh, You know, there'll be some job losses. Uh, You know, why why you should never do things like that by email or 10% of people are going to be – well, we, in Britain, we call it being made redundant. That means job loss. Oh, boy. You know, it, it does. No it reminds me of like yeah. an office segment, uh, you know, whether it's the – whether it was, your, you know, the, the the show, the television show, The, the Office. Original, the original yeah. Office. From one, England. I know. Ricky Gervais, yeah. Like, it reminds me of that, and I think – I mean, we, we it's almost like we're surprised by this technology. It's kind of taking over. But you're, you're an organizational behavior guy. This is something that as a company, we should control. Like, we could easily do training on what our protocols for ranking an email are. 
You know what I mean? Like, yeah, what's we, the one, two, we could three? Do all, you're, Matt, you're absolutely right. We could do all the training on these areas, but we don't. No. And sometimes you get a company with guidelines, but nobody ever reads them. So what they do is they email you the guidelines. <laughs> exactly. Here are the guidelines. The irony. Please read it. Here's it's it's important. You should follow. But people are so bloody busy doing their emails. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing. So you meet somebody. Uh, I meet people at, at not only in my university, but in the workplace because I do research in big companies. And I'll say, so what did you do today? You know, just to open a conversation as I'm ready to interview them for some work I'm doing on stress. And they'll say, well, I had a really good day. I was able to manage to do all my emails. I said, no, no, I didn't ask you that. I said, what did you do today? What did you produce? What did you write? What did you do? Not emails. Emails is not doing work. You know what, but it's, that's it. To do work. It's almost that's the illusion, isn't it? Because we are yeah. killing ourselves answering our emails, and yet it's probably stealing real production. It's taking away. It's stealing real time. Yeah. Which is the other thing. Should you have pings on your, your computer or your, your smartphones telling you when you're getting an email? And the answer is no, you shouldn't. Right. Because all that's going to do is make you curious about who contacted you and stop you doing work. I've even seen people just schedule. Okay, so at, at 9 I will check my email and at noon I will check my email and at 3 I will check my email. That's a smarter that's a smarter idea. And then we have the other problem which you don't have in the US because the Americans don't take, tend to take holidays. But in Europe we have between 4 and 6 each country mm-hmm. has slightly different. But the minimum a country in Europe would take would be 4 weeks off on holiday. Right. Like in July or in August or 6 weeks. In the UK, most people have holidays that are four to six weeks long. Now, unlike the Americans who maybe have a max of two weeks, and most of them don't take it anyway, which is wrong in and of itself, by the way, makes makes the Americans less productive, in my view. Uh, But but the problem we now have is because people are actually doing, if you, the surveys are showing that people are doing uh, their emails while they're on holiday because it's so easy to do it on their smartphones or take a laptop. Yeah, and, and that, they, that just ruins everything. The point is, you're supposed to spend personal, disposable time with your kids, your loved one. Da 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 da. Well, and that shakes up your and head, right? That takes you. It I mean, shakes your head up. That's and great. what if you get an email that says something, something serious has gone wrong with the project you're involved in? Are you going to relax the rest of the week? Mm-mm. No, you're stuck. So it's, it's going to cause you tension while you're on holiday with your family. So that's the thing we have to learn how to control. I thought of an interesting technology that we could use. I don't know why somebody hasn't thought of it. What about this? What about uh, having a software that alerts you when you're working at night or at weekends and you could you could work for holidays, too. You could fit it in with holidays where if you do a few emails on a Friday night at eight o'clock, it comes back to you and says, why don't you spend time with your family and friends? Get a life, idiot. Yeah, kind of thing. <laughs> but really, we that, need something. We do. Ping we, us that says, "What the hell are you doing?" Yeah, because we would respond. O'clock, That's right. Sending work-related emails. That's, I, mean, I have I have seen people though send an email at two in the morning, and you're like, "Oh yeah, what?" But it's there's almost there's almost kind of a like a psychic income that people get. Their psyches are stroked because look how hard I'm working. But in reality, exactly. you're dysfunctional. You're not even... It, it's what we used to say in the old days before we had computers and emails. It was jacket on the back of the chair syndrome. Mm-hmm. You leave your jacket in the office. Yeah. You go home 
but everybody thinks you're still just <laughs> going to get something to eat and you're going to come back to work. Effectively, we, the, we have the electronic version of that, which is sending an email at 10 o'clock so at night. true. We're speaking with Professor exactly. Sir Kerry Cooper, uh, again, from Lancaster University Management School in Lancaster University in the U.K., he is um, a distinguished professor of organizational psychology. Does this, I mean, this doesn't go away, Professor Sir Carey, unless we do something different, right? We have to own it. We have to lead it. I think so. I mean, I don't think you're going to get companies shutting off servers at night right. and over weekends. They just won't do that. Uh, and there are, uh, there's a major investment bank that you know, an American one in London, which has told all their employees at the weekends, do not access your work emails. Mm. We don't want you to unless you're in a major international merger and acquisition deal or something like that. Yeah. But if you're not involved in a deal, don't do it. I think you can you're not we're not going to shut the servers off. So and and employers are realizing there's a lot of downtime. So we have employers here who have forbid intranet emails within the same building, but they'll never shut the servers. Mm -hmm. And they do give guidelines. Many companies are starting to give rough guidelines, very rough. Um, But I think ultimately it's us. We have to manage our time better. We have to get better balance in our lives. Number one, while we're at work, really we have to get on and do things, create things. Whatever we do, we're mainly, in the U.S. is basically a service-based economy, knowledge-based economy. Um, just like the most of Western Europe, a lot of a lot of the heavy manufacturing has gone to the Far East. So, given that, you know, we have to manage our time properly to the extent that uh, we say to ourselves, um, "Look, at what I want to do is get this job done, invent that, create that, produce that, do that," and say to myself, "Maybe three times a day I'll access my email." Mm-hmm. Also, when I send an email to somebody, I'm going to say how important it is. Also, I'm not going to copy in the whole world and every boss I've ever had uh, and all of that. I think we just have to learn ourselves how to do it and manage it. Yeah. And uh, And, and, my kids, I have uh, kids in London. And when I go have dinner with a couple of them in London, um, you know, I noticed one one about two years ago, we're all sitting there looking at our smartphones. I know. No, I know. How, how old, but your said, kids are? It. I'm not paying for this meal ever again. <laughs> if any of us do it, and that includes me. So I know. We all shut it off now. Well, I have we close teens. Down. I have teenagers. That the minute we all sit down at a restaurant, foink, all the phones come out, and absolutely. And I sit there and I think, well, what's the future of this? Is I mean, eventually, I guess we could just Skype in dinner. We could just you know conference call exactly. it in. Exactly. Don't you think it's sad? Because it is. I mean, the whole important point of having a family. Is we're supposed to relate to one another, yeah. invest in one another, listen to one another. Connect. Kids need us listening to them. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, I, and when I go to restaurants, I see very little of it now, very little interaction. Well, it's almost like the busyness has taken over, and we get more value apparent from apparent busyness than from real results, which is what you were just telling us. If we are at work yep. getting real results, it should buy us the freedom to not answer that email in the middle of the weekend. Because – I'm a producer. I don't I'm not going to produce for you in the middle of the weekend. But you you still can try to interrupt me. It's so exactly. interruptive is really what it is. Oh, it is. It's totally disruptive and you lose concentration of listening to other people 
which is really quite important in relationships. And ultimately, investing in relationships both in the workplace and outside is important for all of us. I mean, if you think about it, if we're basically a service-based economy, uh, you don't need even broadcasting. You could have an ISDN line at home. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. You don't even need to uh-uh. be in an office now. No. You could, I could Nobody be sitting, yeah, be, in my pajamas. You could be sitting at home. I could be sitting at That's home. Right. I could be Skyping in my lectures. Mm-hmm. I don't need to be in an office. Why are we coming into an office? Because we need the social interaction, and we, as human beings, we need it. And yet the technology is kind of moderating that and getting in the way. Yeah, keeping us from actually having the relationships. It is, it is keeping us from having the relationship. One of the benefits of my job, I also have – I do a lot of coaching, relationship coaching, communication stuff. So a lot of yeah. people expect me – they expect to maybe email me and maybe think they might get a hold of me. But um, I think they also respect when I don't reply because yeah. they're, they like know that, oh, yeah, look at him. He walks his talk. But a lot of it is I'm not going to do it because it just – it's, I don't know. Yeah, I just feel like well, it's, it's interfering theft. with you. I mean, you have to set limits. It's yeah. like if you're trying to coach somebody and get them to, you know, whatever the, their problem is, you know, you're trying to help them set limits for mm-hmm. themselves. Exactly. Well, if you set a limit and say, listen, I'm a coach Monday to Friday till five o'clock, that's it. I'm right. off. I earn you the chief exec of a major UK company. This was about 20 years ago. I mean, a big, big, not UK company, global company, yeah. but it was UK based. Big one and really great guy. And I'll never forget. And, and he said to me, I said, this is a killer job. I mean, you have plants all over the world in the U.S. and China and everywhere. I mean, how do you have a family life? He says, I'll tell you what I do. I, said, I leave. I kill myself Monday to Friday. I'm prepared to work long hours. At Friday at five o'clock, I've told everybody in the office, unless a plant's burning down in Delaware <laughs> or in Beijing. Yeah. I am not accessible. You do not call me up under any circumstances uh, until Monday morning. That's great. And that's the way he lived his life, a very successful guy. Well, and you look at the expectation he set. Everybody was clear. If there was an emergency, they probably know exactly how they could have communicated it. Exactly. And then he, you know, he could check his phone once a day. Yeah, I think if, you know, I think it's really quite important to do that. And uh, Love it. I try my best to do it, but sometimes I get carried away. Like I'll be on a holiday with my family in Portugal. And then I keep my mobile phone on in case because I have kids all over. the. I have four yeah. kids. So in case somebody else calls me up or something. But I'll get a phone call and it might be a journalist saying, well, the BBC saying, could I call, talk about something? Mm-hmm. So I can only do it on my mobile. And I do it for five minutes and then I feel guilty as hell. And then you got to get back to your you know kids. What I mean? Yeah. I said, you yeah. know, but they're sitting by the pool. So I, the justification I use is, well, they're by the pool. Yeah. It's only five minutes and it's not going to disturb me because it's not going to make me worry about something mm-hmm. at work. If it was a work related one, I'd ignore it. Yeah. But I mean, again, too, that's also part of your purpose, your mission. So, I mean, a little is fine, I guess. It's just – but you're also leading it, I guess, is the point. Most of us just let it just keep happening and happening. If you just let every journalist that wants you get you, then you're going to be trapped as well. So, Yeah, you're right. And in life generally, you just have to just manage it. People are are quite happy if you say to them, funny enough now, at least in Europe – if you say, I'm sorry, I can't have that meeting at 6 o'clock because I have to be home with my family or my mm-hmm. grandchild or my daughter, they accept that now. Yeah. 
Do they really? Funny enough, 20 years ago, they wouldn't have. Right. No, right. I think we're, yeah, I I think that would, that would be weird in the U.S., I think still. But I mean, the U.S. is, the U.S. is, I mean, being a dual citizen, being born in the U.S. or raised in the U.S., you know, and being an American, I mean, I I think the U.S. is too workaholic, way too workaholic. The hours that that the U.S., that American workers work is just too long. And there's no evidence, incidentally, this is the organizational psychologist in me. There's no evidence that if you work long hours, you're more productive. There is tons of evidence. I even wrote a book on it with a colleague from Canada, which is uh, an edited book. We took all the best science in the world. It's called The Long Working Hours Culture. And we have found that if you consistently work long hours, you will get ill. (laughs) It will make you ill. So it is good for getting you ill, making you sick. It's not good oh, for getting good. results. You consistently work long hours. Great for you to get ill. <laughs> but the American mindset is long is good. Right. It's effective. It's, it's productive. And, and it, it will pay off. There's no evidence that shows that. Right, right. Well, Professor Sir Kerry Cooper, we appreciate you. And I, I love your energy on it and your insight. I also, I mean, come on, a dual citizen, a, a knighted a knighted American. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm really quite proud because my parents, of course, my father was Russian. My mother was Romanian. I bet my they were proud. Russian, Ukrainian. My mother was R- Romanian. So I was first generation American. Wow. And I'm just proud, you know, as an American to have been honored by this country. Well, it, it also tells life. you you're living, you're living, you know, the principles. You're getting yes, results so. and you're, you're still able to get holidays. Yep, I certainly do. Well, we appreciate you, and keep up the great work. I can hardly wait to see more of your uh, your, your articles that set off Thank the uh, fire. Thank you very much, Matt. Appreciate great you talking to you. You too, Carrie. Take care, my friend. Truly, uh, it's what it takes, folks. You have to have a belief, just like he was demonstrating, of what's right. Family, if that's what motivates you, make the space for it. Even if it's just having friends or a healthy life, whatever you've got we got to start managing our technology, folks. Eventually, it's going to own us. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. More right after the break. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Love that uh, Love that topic. Sir Kerry Cooper, for heaven's sakes. You know, it's it's technology, folks. It's not the master. You are the master. You are the agent here. We've got to figure out how to use it. One of the things I found, though, is you already know you're going to have vacation time. You already know you're going to have dinner tonight. You already know... Certain things that are so constant and consistent in your life. Can I just suggest do what you can to get, uh, for example, you don't have to tell everybody even where you're going. So if you have a family event tonight or you just want to get home to be with your family and somebody schedules a meeting at 5 o'clock, you don't need to say, oh, you know what? I've got family at 5. Sorry, I've got to go see my family. You might feel embarrassed or weird about saying that. But you could just simply say, you know what? I've got something really important scheduled, so can't do that. And most of the time I found nobody cares. Nobody cares because everybody is kind of so worried about their own lives and their own schedules. They're not going to get too worried about yours. 
Now, if every appointment you can't make, that's going to be a little different. But let's just start using technology in a way to actually um, be additive to our relationships. But whenever you can, get up and talk to the person eye to eye. Uh, try not to be interruptive. You don't need to interrupt. You could just catch them when they're walking in the hall somewhere. I've done that with our boss, Don. Caught him right in the walk into the bathroom. And we had a 20-minute conversation, and he never got to go to the restroom. It was really sad. I felt bad for him. Anyway, it's technology, folks. Um, but it's also just conscientiousness. We need a little bit more conscientiousness. You may remember a few days ago we talked about a hero um, a Georgia man named Michael Hammonds. He was a 46-year-old veteran. I don't know if you remember the story, but he saw a dog inside of a Mustang parked at a shopping center, and he was worried that the temperature in the vehicle was getting too hot, if you remember. So he kind of uh, took it under his own, um, you know, his own concern, and he went in and broke the window and got the dog out. He saved the dog's life. And so interesting thing, uh, you know, there's all this talk about he's going to be arrested, He's going to be arrested, and he actually was arrested, and he ended up – they thought they were going to have to charge the guy. Well, long story short, they they basically dropped the charges. He's not going to be charged with it. He he was really worried. There are laws that you can break a window if a child's in the car, but, you know, he he was – it was a dog. So – It seemed like he found one of those flaws in the law. Yeah. Where – it's it's the person got charged because they left their dog in the car. He tried to step in to help out the animal, but yeah. that in itself wasn't covered in any sort of. That was kind of a free, yeah. It was a it was just a floating obligation. No, no, no one finished the loop on the good Samaritan who tries to help the animal, who it's illegal that it's in the in the car anyways, and so yeah. That's so cool. They'll probably pass some sort of legislation to fix that. Yes. I mean, the interesting thing, the the month after the legislation's passed, hundreds of windows will be broken. That's right. Oh, I was helping a dog. <laughs> every, uh, you know, every heart, tender-hearted person will start just shattering windows. I thought that was a dog. Oh, it was just a pillow? Okay, sorry. Oh, my bad. My bad. That was a real-looking pillow. Anyway, it's cool. It's cool that he's off, too. So, anyway, a little follow-up on that story. We, um, we're going to take a break, my friends. Uh, Did you ba- say I sent you an email? What? Just telling you I was back. Oh. I'd stepped out of the room. I sent you an email. I was standing right here. And oh, I, right here. Yeah. Just so I know you're back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I actually did see that. I'm like, I didn't know that. Uh, I didn't know when you sent it. thought it would be helpful to send you another email. Well, you know, I have these two eye things that I, I saw you come back. Yeah, I understand, but. He's back. I sent you an email as well that I'm, I'm still here. I've been here the entire time. Oh, I didn't time. get that one. Okay. Could you resend that? Yeah, I will. Thank you. Uh, is Michael Co- copy me on Mike that. needs Thanks. to CC me to make sure I know you're here. Okay. Yeah. I'll I'll just CC everybody in on it. We're going to take a break, my friends. More fun next hour. Making a case for football. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. I'm your coach, Dr. Matt Townsend, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. Last hour, we learned all about uh, turning yourself or turning your email off. Manage it better. 
get a better deal. Focus. You got to have a plan, my friends. You know who needed a plan was Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack. Did you hear this? What did he do? He's in a hearing, a committee meeting. Today? Uh, this is on the 16th, about a month oh, ago, okay. actually. April 16th. He's just having, you know, hearing testimony. Somebody, uh, he was actually giving testimony. And the theme song on his phone oh, right. hit. And it was, our, it was our, the most incredible song of all time that we play on this show all of the time. It was Let It Go. Let It Go! <laughs> <laughs> he, he blamed his grandkids or something. Yeah, like uh, my grandkids were playing with the phone. Yeah, right. That was funny. It's funny what people use as their ringtone. Because like some like old lady with some crazy dirty dancing song. Yeah. Awkward. You're like, Grandma. I use the phone ringer from the TV show 24. Really? If you watch that show, there's a distinct phone ringer uh, sound yeah. that they have in their offices. And you like that sound. And I was like, wow. And when that show was on, I had that ringtone, and people were like, 24? Huh? 24? You could instantly tell who you could go talk to about oh. the show because they knew the phone ring. That's a, that's like a, it's an icebreaker. Yeah. I didn't have to ask. The phone would ring, and you'd see heads start spinning have, around like, where's Jack Bauer? What's going on? Have you heard James, he, his ringtone? It's like his girlfriend or, no. excuse me, wife yelling at him. What What is your ringtone? No, it's not. No, it's more like meow. Right, cats. Meow. Cat ringtone. Come on. Yeah, interesting stuff. I had awkward rap songs for a while just to. You did? Yeah. For what purpose? Just, it was fun. For you? Yeah. Okay. Or the James Bond theme song. I yeah oh that would be fun. cool yeah I have people in my classes I say I don't care if your ring if your ringer goes off if it goes off whatever but you better get a good song because whatever's playing you have to stand and dance to yeah and, and you're labeled that now then all of a sudden that's you but it's pretty telling I think I think that's a test we all should have to go through what is your ringtone then it tells you a lot about you that should be part of every job interview hmm. we should have asked you that before we hired you Terry but then I'd have to talk talk about twenty four I know. That would have explained a lot. And you go, wow, I guess he's pro-torture because that whole show is about torture. I'm going to shoot you in the kneecap now so you'll tell me more. Oh, well. Uh, Today we're supposed to celebrate May Ray Day. May Ray Day. It's May Ray Day. What what is May Ray Day? We're supposed to go outside and enjoy the beginning of summer rays. Okay. When it stops raining. It's overcast here, so we'll do that tomorrow. So if it's a bright, sunshiny day where you're at, go out and enjoy it. Enjoy May Ray Day. Yeah. Me, I'll sit in my house when it it gets really nice and cloudy and yeah. dark. Well, we could enjoy May Gray Day. May Gray Day. I love it. May Ray Day. My wife's like, open a window. I'm like, no, it's dark. <laughs> I like it. State Department really will release Hillary Clinton's emails <gasps> in January of 2016. Hold on. January of 2016. It's now May 2015. So in about seven months, yes. we are going to have the most incredible moment. They have 55 thousand pages of emails to go through as her time as secretary of state the uh, those are the ones that she turned over in a document related to, well yes in a doc she deleted the rest yeah because right? the others weren't important in a document related to the freedom of information act lawsuit filed in january by vice news a mm. website yeah uh acting director of information programs and services john hackett wrote the department understands a considerable public interest in these records and is endeavoring to complete the review and the production of these as soon as possible. 
It's interesting. So that that actually so as soon as possible equates to about nine months. Is how long it takes. They to have to get. go through every single page. Sure, sure. Look at it. It makes sense. But your your she got rid of all the personal ones, like about her yoga classes and her daughter's wedding. Well, it said till now it took them till earlier this month just to get all the emails scanned into a computer system. Oh, that's right, because she just handed her. She handed in a whole they just print, stack of them. Print she printed, printed them off. Them. And, oh, here you go. I mean, a lot of people would give a digital file. Right. She chose to just give. Don't have to. Kill 5,000 trees. <laughs> okay. Makes sense. Uh, more on the biker brawl in Waco. Yes. Uh-huh. Apparently, it could have stemmed from what's called a rocker patch. Yes. Which is, it sits underneath. It's the rocker. It's underneath and, uh, the, the, the name of the ba- the gang. And it, it, it kind of declares what their turf is, what yeah. their territory. So they're like, they're going for and the Waco the Cossacks patch. wanted to put Texas. Ah, they want to own but Texas. But the Banditos, they already have Texas. Do you not understand that we already Blah. own Texas? So it's a turf war. Interesting. The old rocker patch. No video for the Amtrak probe. Really? There's no video? Inside the oh. engineer's uh, cabin, I guess. They don't they have it or the, it there was ruined? There isn't one. Oh, my heavens. Five really? years ago, the federal incident investigators recommended that the government require video cameras in locomotive cabs to record engineers' actions. Mm-hmm. But it didn't happen. Now that left a gap, that gap is unraveling last week's fatal Amtrak derailment. It's an old story for the National Transportation Safety Board. Accidents occur. People die. There's a clamor for action. Later, when attention moves elsewhere, recommendations frequently lag for years and some are never realized. One being a camera to see what the conductor did. Sure. They have total control. Well, that's a no-brainer. The most control. That's the easiest change. Because then we'd know what would happen yeah. when something obvious – if you see the picture of the of the, the train uh, engine, it something hit the windshield. Yeah. And there's – you can see the impact. Did that have any effect on what's going on inside the cabin? Yeah. In fact, I heard on another report that that's – the FBI has determined it's not a bullet. It's not they a bullet. shot at. But it could be, I don't know, a seagull. A brick, a rock. They <laughs> Whatever, say two something. to three times a month there are reports that trains are getting hit. Are you serious? People are throwing things yeah. at the train. All so. the more reason to have a video camera. They have a, a security camera kind of back in a distance mm-hmm. where you can see the wreck. Well, so but it's wh- grainy. It's it's not. So remember all of the legislators were making this big deal about funding. And they don't have the funding. And if the funding had been there, then – but funding for cameras on all of the trains? Come on. Come on. We put doors on after 9-11 on the airplanes. We did. We could have cameras. President Obama has joined Twitter for real this time. For real. This he is has, his real. There's a Twitter account called at Barack Obama. Hmm. Right? That That has been run by – White House aides. Okay, that's not him. The new at POTUS, P-O-T-U-S, oh, President of the United yeah. States, will be run directly by President Obama, while the previous account run by his organizing uh, for action nonprofit. Look at him. Yeah, he's gearing so up. separating the two. For, he's gearing up for after. For afterwards. He needs to be, you know, socially. There was, a, there was kind of a concern because as he put out his first tweet from the POTUS account, it yeah. said Twitter for iPhone. Yeah. And everyone's like, oh, the president's got an iPhone because there was a huge yeah. security situation. That's why he has this BlackBerry that he can use that's really locked down and right. secure. Well, now they're like, he's using an iPhone. He was using an assistant's iPhone to put out that one tweet. On his, on his account. On his account. Again, this matters. Why? Uh, because people were bored yesterday and they're wondering if the president finally got an iPhone. Does do, uh, You wonder if when he leaves office, will he leave that account with the next president? That was my question. You take POTUS. Yeah. 
It seems like that's an important thing to leave with the Secret Service. You'd think. Uh, and I did see a report saying that he would. Because, that, I mean, let's say you H- just Hillary changed, Clinton could you, get that. And, you know, she's big on Twitter. You just change the name or go off somewhere. Or, yeah. yeah. I believe that that account will be left with whoever is Let's in the office. That would be foolish to that. That would be the kind thing to but do. But then again, I should have just got gone and signed up for POTUS. Then I would have had it. And uh, they would have had to call uh, me. And then we could have got the president on the show. Because that would have been the trade. But then the Secret Service would have showed up. Well, they'd only talk to you. They don't care about me. <laughs> Bobby Jindal, Louisiana governor. Yes, is he going to run? Exploratory committee. Okay, he's exploring. He goes, if I run, my candidacy will be based on the idea that the American people are ready to try a dramatically different direction. <laughs> he goes, not a course correction, but a dramatically different path. If I run, it will be because the Americans are looking for something different. Early 2016 polls show that uh, Jindal is running in the low single digits. Okay. Not just single digits. The low But see, digits. the more that get into this race. Which means there's a lot of who? What? Who's this guy? Huh? But the more that are in, the better the odds for a lot of people. Yes, absolutely. Because then you just got to make a little dent. Yeah. But you got to have You money. can make a jump, so. Yeah. Interesting news. Man, everybody's getting in. Uh, what's his name? The senator from Carolina, uh, Graham. Yes, Lindsey Graham yesterday. He's in. He declared, or I declare, whichever way you want to use his yeah. southern accent there. This is getting exciting. It makes you wonder if Chris Christie's going to do it. Yeah, probably. I think he's just waiting for some, you know. Some... Hence his NSA comments. You don't have to worry about yeah. the NSA. I'm, I'm going to be the possible presidential candidate. I'll take care of it. Hey, uh. Interesting little topic coming up. Uh, Tony Vinuku is going to be joining us. He is he's a director of a documentary film that that uh, was played at the Sundance Film Festival last year about football. It's called In Football We Trust. And he follows um, some Polynesian top four Polynesian recruits and uh, takes us on a journey through the minds and the hearts of these people that that are doing everything they can to make it in the NFL. And for many, it's just a dream wasted. For others, it's it's actually a it's a it's a trap. They get stuck in there and they don't know how to get out. We're going to be talking to Tony about what he found out about football, and uh, and it's it, the power to get you out of gang violence, but maybe also the power sometimes to keep you stuck in poverty. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. You just heard a little clip from a movie um, that we're talking about, a documentary in Football We Trust that was uh, directed by Tony Vinuku. And he he's really put together, I think, something – I think it's, a, it's an interesting, essential in, insight and look in to um, NFL and also what's going through some of our – some of our cultures, some of our minds, some of our inner cities. Here's basically the rule of, of thumb. Did you know that Polynesians are 28 times more likely than any other ethnic group to make it into the NFL? And our great guest coming up, uh, Tony, put together this documentary for the Sundance Film Festival, which um, is really a story about these boys and their their desire. He's going to follow four of the top recruits and, and the desire to get into the big leagues in an effort to get out 
of their their difficult lives and for some to actually keep them out of the gangs. Tony Vinuku, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, thank you. Thank you for having me. Great to have you on. This this looks like uh, what an interesting documentary because you spent many years making it. How many years did it take to get this thing together? So the idea was actually um, probably about six six years. Wow. But uh, when we went into production and we followed the boys, we actually followed the boys for about four years. Oh, my heavens. Uh, we followed them from their senior year in high school. And originally thought it was going to take us, you know, that that, that year of high school and then maybe six months uh, in post. So maybe a year and a half, two years at the most. Yeah. Uh, but it ended up, you know, the story developed and um, it was a little tougher to get financing than we expected. And we ended up following them for four years. So we were lucky in a lot of ways and unlucky in some. So, so yeah. So, so it really is um, the story of four recruits that are trying to, you know, get into colleges but and, and eventually make it to the pros. But then you also kind of weave in some current and former Polynesian NFL players like Troy Polamalu, uh, uh, Haloti Nagata, Star Lotuleli, yeah. and Vaisa yeah, Kahima. Yes, so, yes, yes. Yeah, we, so, yeah, the original idea was to, you know, add some NFL players that have made it to the league, that, that are living the dream that these boys are, you know, looking to accomplish, and they help give the story context, and they do it you know, in, in different ways, you know, the, the bites that we catch with all of those players relate um, specifically to the stories that are being hmm. shared. And it does show how tight knit the culture still is, because it's fairly, you know, we're just new immigrants that, you know, a lot of us are first, second and, and third generation. So. Yeah. I mean, talk to us about the Polynesian culture, because we don't, I mean, if you're not on the inside, you don't see it. But then you do see these incredible stars in Utah. We see a lot of them. Um, and I don't know if it, there's more in Utah, more of more from Samoa and Tonga and these different places. But teach us about the culture a little bit. Well, you know, again, so I I saw the story because I I am of of, of the Polynesian culture, um, and I grew up in some of the same communities as these kids. And so, you know, we see the struggle of you know we. A lot of us have big families yeah. and are very faith-driven as a culture, which you'll see that uh, in the film, um, and, and are very physical, you know, and football isn't in the islands, you know. I think it's it's starting to be in American Samoa, but, um, you know, it's not something that we came from, but we happen to be really good at. And, you know, I think a lot of people are asking, you know, how are Polynesians making, you know, why is this culture making such a big splash in the NFL and in colleges right now. And I think a lot of it comes down to, and you'll hear it over and over, a lot of it comes down to, you know, that, that uh, football family culture, you know, mm-hmm. and, and uh, of course, the physical ability, you know, that Halotingata says, we, we don't use it in the, in the movie, but Halotingata says that a lot of the coaches uh, in the NFL and colleges are really surprised on how big Polynesians are, but, but mostly how fast they yeah. are for their size. Yeah. And so, you know, that, that obviously gives us an edge and, and um, becomes really present and, and known while you're in Little League playing football and really, you know, just, just standing out above everybody else. I mean, it seems like historically BYU football has, has su- successfully recruited um, a yeah. lot of Polynesians. And in fact, even like Vaisa Kahima and some of these others, it, it's a it's a is it is it is it because of religion is it because they are such kind of a face based or faith based culture 
what what is the tie to religiosity and the Polynesian culture? Well, you, you know, I mean, I, I think that they're all different religions, but I think here in Utah, they're primarily Mormon. You know, mo- most most Polynesians are Mormon in Utah, and I think that before even Mormonism, you know, Mormonism goes, I think, starts there in 1890 or whatnot. But they just are a very very faith driven people, very Christian. Um, you know, you, you always hear, hear stories of the Sabbath day being held in, in Tongo or Samoa as being, you know, one of the yeah. <laughs> most strict Sabbath Sundays. <laughs> Observances. Where, you know, there's no basketball. I mean, the only people who work on that island at, on, on Sunday are doctors and, and police officers. Huh. So it's it, definitely a faith-driven culture. That's pretty cool. And and I think, I mean, the it's interesting, too, because the NFL lately has had a really bad rap, right? Like Ray right. Rice, the head injuries. Adrian Peterson, Deflategate, all this stuff. But then I love what you've done by weaving in. There's these boys that are doing everything they can to get into the NFL. And yet, to some degree, it's to their demise. It actually might even be hurting them physically, but emotionally, psychologically. Right. 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 Yeah. You know, absolutely. Um, and you'll see that, you know, so we have four different um, high school boys. We have two that are brothers that they they deal with football as being a way out for them. You know, I mean, they're not they have a, they deal with a family name that carries with it um, uh, the gang affiliation. And so they use football to try to get out of that. And then you have our one of our players, Harvey Longy, who yeah. ended up going to BYU. Um, who deals with that, you know, that God-given talent and what comes along with that, which is, you know, a lot of family pressure, you know, different institutions uh, just really catering and, and almost handicapping him in, in some ways. Um, and then you have our, 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 our fourth, which is Fihi Kafusi, who deals, who really shows the faith um, within the culture. And so we get a really well-rounded story. They're all different, you know, Fihi also has a, his his um, comes from extreme poverty and mm. uses football just to get an education. Yeah. So I mean, and, and, and you're if, definitely right. You know, it definitely. I I would say you know me as the director, I wouldn't say that I'm completely against football. I no. think it, I think it could work as a huge plus. I mean, it could be a vehicle just as long as you're the driver. Yeah. You know? That's it. It's, it. In fact, it almost just sounds like the technology we were talking about. It's just a tool. But you've got to you've got to be the driver. You've got to be in charge of it. To me, right. it's such a fascinating discussion because I I, I actually work with um, couples, a lot of uh, people, um, just on life skills and improving life skills. And I've I've had the pleasure of working with many um, of these very very successful, you know, Polynesians that have gotten to the next level. And uh-huh. it's it is interesting what you bring up though. In a way, how. Because there, there's so much pressure from the family, and there's so much of a desire to not let the family down. And there's multiple generations and cousins and nephews and all these people watching this. It creates immense pressure, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, it's uh, it's you almost you, – you can't blame them in a lot of ways, no. you know. I mean, I think uh, my younger uncle was, you know, our next NFL hopeful, in fact, inspired, inspired the film. And, you know, he was being called the next junior sale. And, again, when they're when they're really excelling in, in Little League and you're seeing all this hope from them, you're like, oh, wow, you know, this could be a great outlet. And, and not only for him but for our family. And mm-hmm. I think as a culture, we there's a reason we came over to America. I think all of us want to better our lives, and we feel like we owe that to our parents because they don't fully understand the American way, and it, and, and it's left up to us to understand it quickly and be able to, to help them out of – to pay them back for for the reason for them coming over in the first place. There's a lot of, you know, that, 
you feel like you owe and you and, and you understand the, the value of family and, and you want to do that for your family and, and be proud of that. And you're so naturally, I mean, many are so naturally gifted at it. I mean, a Troy Palomalu, you look at it and you're like, yeah, that he seems to fit. And, and, um, Nagata and all these people, it just seems like, it just seems like such a natural ability and skill set. And in the movie, I remember seeing, um, in the trailer, just a, a line about your warriors, you know, we, Polynesians were born warriors, bred warriors, and it's just fascinating, fascinating stuff. Well, let's take a break. We're talking with uh, uh, Tony Vainuku, who is the director and was actually, I guess, uh, co-directed the documentary film with Erica Cohn, um, all about In Football We Trust. It's a documentary about four boys of Polynesian descent as they pursue their NFL dreams. We'll come back and continue this discussion. I even want to get into the stories about... You know, you know, football or gangs, one or the other. We kind of got to go one direction or the other in some in one of the stories we're talking about. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. According to Sportology.com, football is the number one American sport and the ninth most popular sport all around the world. In fact, Samoa is nicknamed Football Island, and it earns the name. Uh, Football is a sport that seems to be built perfectly for the Polynesian culture, and some young men view it as a a way out uh, or way to a better life and sometimes even a way out of gang life. Tony Tony Vainuku is joining us. He is the co-director of a documentary film that was at uh, Sundance last year, uh, all about the the Polynesian culture and f- the, the journeys of four young men in you know with the desire to make it to the NFL. Uh, Tony, welcome back to the show. Thank you. What what else what else did you learn? Now you talk about I know uh, is it Leva and Vita Bloomfield. Uh-huh. And their story, I guess, there they had a a, a relative that was um, a gang, uh, the founder of a gang. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So their father, in fact, uh, Fua Bloomfield, you know, uh, from a young age, you know, I kind of accidentally started started a gang with uh, his his friends and whatnot. Um, but they all, you know, had some talent in football. In fact, Fua ended up going to BYU. Was one of the first Polynesian running backs. Hmm to be there uh, and ended up dropping out um, sometime in his junior year, but was, was, you know, showed, showed some potential. Um, But definitely the the Bloomfield name carries with it, you know, and has for a long time uh, since like the early nineties with it, a, a gang affiliation. And they all, still deal with it as a family you know their mother speaks of it um you know the name in schools and, yeah. and their sons are trying to pull out of it but um you know the name carries a lot of weight with it uh, and so these boys you know they're getting they have these opportunities they have incredible talent and it's kind of like well man if we don't if we don't do this what do we do, do is it easy for the polynesian culture and and, and the youth to just, you know, if it's not a sport that they're going to make it in, do they have a shot at other things? Do they feel like they have a shot? I think they do more and more. I mean, for for the, for the Bloomfield specifically, um, 
you know, Vita has has a great head on his shoulders as well as Leva, you know, but I think Leva deals with different different issues as far as how they, you know, whether to embrace the gang or, or whether to move on forward, you know. Um, I think when you anybody kind of surrounds themselves with, you know, kids that, you know, may not be too into education and are really discouraging them and not encouraging them in positive ways, I think it becomes easy to fall into that. Mm-hmm. Um, but but Vita definitely is doing really well, and, and he's been able to, you know, he actually has a little family now and, and isn't gang affiliated at all, I think, um, and, and Leva, you know, the same way. I think a lot of times they fall into it from cousins and, you know, family is family, and I think, uh, you know, it's called a gang for, for outsiders, but, you know, when your cousin claim something or whatever, yeah. you know, they're still your family. So it's, so it's tough, even though you're trying to, to not be affiliated. Is it um, in your in your documentary, do you see the the impact then the family pressure has and and kind of I mean, really, all the money, all the ideas, all the energy, all the focus seems to be on, you know, this younger generation to go hit it big. Um, it, what does that pressure do to these kids? <laughs> You know, I mean, you'll see it in Harvey's story to where, you know, it really, really crashes down on him and and he really feels the pressure and you'll see the different decisions that he makes because of the pressure and the want to help his family. As far as the Bloomfields, you know, um, their fight is really just to keep, I mean, it's a win-win if their kids are in practice versus on the street, you know, um, running the streets. So I don't think their goal is, 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 uh, is, is they're not trying to get them to the NFL. They're just trying to have them play, do something yeah, positive, not die on the yeah. street, right? Versus Harvey, where Harvey is, he's definitely you know pushed to, to play in the NFL because he has that that extra edge. And then there's this there's Fihi Kafusi, and Kafusi's a really big name in Utah. Yeah. Um. So is I assume he's connected to all the other Kafusis. Yeah, he is. He is. I think they're uh, uh, cousins. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. Cousins. I mean, everybody says they're cousins, but um, <laughs> yeah. And Fihi, he also, you know, he came from the Glendale area and, and, and had run in with the gang stuff and was able to pull out of that. And, and more, he you know, he kind of jumped from home to home and he's just, you know, trying to create a way to, to get through college because he definitely understands um he is very, very intelligent, very smart, and he understands the game and he understands the industry and he knows that he can use it to get an education, even though he may not be, you know, the best athlete yeah. or have all, all that the talent that may be needed for the next level. He's like, I will take this as far as I can to get as much as I can from it. So it's really interesting to watch that. Yeah, he's really trying to get the education out of right. it. Um, right. Is when you look at Ferguson, Missouri, when you look at Baltimore, Maryland, and you see what's happening with some of these inner cities, do you sense that your storyline from the Polynesian culture parallels kind of the inner city, maybe the black inner city that uh, that we see, you know, in riots and struggling? You know, um, I don't know. I've never really like like that's a good question. Uh, I think there's definitely a little bit of. Uh, racism and and you know that we touch on in the movie mm-hmm. and there's definitely the stereotype of uh the bloomfield name switch which kind of holds them back so yeah. you definitely see these same problems that are uh, you know coming up within within our our kids lives here in salt lake city um in fact we have one officer that 
doesn't make the, the 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 movie that says you know when I hear the name Bloomfield I automatically think regulators which is their game yeah um, and you know I mean we don't completely blame him for that but it also adds to the stereotypes and and uh, what people expect because you have you have two ways that we're being represented right now. You know, there's a very small representation of, of Polynesians at this time, which is why we pushed so hard for this movie and thought it was just a great, great movie to come out right now. And the two are gangs in, in, in the news yeah. or football uh, big time, you know, yeah. it's one or the other. And so showing the story behind that what was so important at this time. And I think it's kind of interesting. I have a friend that grew up with me my whole life and he watched the, he watched a movie and he's like, you know what? I, I, I always thought that I knew you and I watched this movie and I feel like, you know, there's a whole other part I never knew about you. And I've known you since we were kids. And yeah. so, I, you know, it was a great compliment. And I think we did a good job on, on, you know, showing that. Your goal really then, I guess, was just to let everybody in to this world Right. And, and and it's it really I mean it it wasn't there's not a lot of positive outcome is there of the of the four boys where did they end up Well it it depends how you look at that you know again with the Bloomfield Yeah that's true know, my my biggest success story or success story in the movie is that Leva actually ends up going to college after oh, you know having a, a big scare of him possibly going I mean to prison for wow. life and he ends up going to college, which is a lot, you know, I come from a lot of these same neighborhoods. So I understand how, I mean, yeah. there are a lot more that don't go to college. So, so in a way, that's a, that's a huge success story. Um, uh, Harvey is actually still at BYU and could yeah. possibly be going into the draft this year. And then Fihi, uh, he, he ended up going on an LDS mission. And is kind of you know just living his life. So all these kids, you know, none of them are dead or in jail. Yeah, no, so, so really, it's all success. A, definitely a success story, and, and I think, but I think it it also really shows um, and, and tells and, and gives you gives the kids that that lesson of you know don't put all your beans in a, you know or, or eggs into one basket and and you know mm-hmm. pursue other things. Use use football as as a vehicle. You know, don't. You know, don't depend on this system that that is going to use you up and toss you out. And, you know, I think we're seeing a lot of that in the colleges um, as far as like, you know, being paid college athletes and making all this money on them and that and that. So it's interesting. And Fihi Fihi had a really horrible knee injury as well. He did. He did. He suffered with a knee injury, which we touch on. And, you know, we show a little bit of as early as high school coaches are ignoring it to, to get the win, yeah. you know? And so you, you can only imagine from seeing it from such an early point, uh, how bad it gets in, in college. And then, you know, in the NFL, um, if, where there's a bite that we don't use from hollow Tingata, where he says, he doesn't talk directly on the system, but he says, you know, I don't, I'm not sure I want my kids to even play this sport. He uh. says, I don't think I'm going to be able to play with them when yeah. I get older because of all my injuries and stuff. It's a physical sport. It's getting more physical. You know, it's, I don't think we're getting big roars until people are taking each other's heads off these days. Sure. Right. Yeah. It's like mm, boring. Nobody's right. nobody had a concussion today. <laughs> that is so that's such an interesting thing where he he's even worried if he'll be able to to play with his own kids. And I think you see more and more of that um, with the junior say uh, suicide. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a high risk strategy, right? To, but, but for some, it's the only way out of their situation. 
Right. It, well, it's the it's the clearest yeah. way. You know, yeah, you it have, is. You have uh, you have, of course, education, and we don't show um, how bad they push on education in the movie. You know, it's an hour and a half, so we we get through it really really quickly. But they definitely put focus on education, and and I mean, Harvey had a three point six. Mm. You know, going into college, um, but football. You know, unlike. A, a degree as a doctor, whatever, you know, that takes, you know, six to eight to 10, you know, in yeah. med classes, 12 years. Um, it's a, it's a faster road. And, you know, you, when you're showing potential since you were eight years old and you've fostered that and, and really, you know, helped develop that, um, football definitely becomes, you know, easily, easy to depend on. You bet. Uh, again, we're talking with Tony Vinuku um, from the, the documentary In Football We Trust. By the way, there's a website everybody can go to, infootballwetrustmovie.com. Is that where they can find the movie, Tony? Not the movie, but all the information on the movie will be, it looks like we'll, do, we'll, we'll be doing a theatrical release this August. Mm. Um, and we actually are still running the festival circuit. You know, we yeah. premiered at Sundance, of course, and we're doing the Los Angeles uh, Film Festival this June. We'll, we'll, be, premier, we'll be premiering it uh, on the 17th, but in theaters in August, and we should be on ITVS, who is our broadcaster, should by... Uh, Super Bowl of next year, man. Our, our next Super Bowl. Well, and what are you going to do? Because it seems like you have a gift here. You <laughs> well, gotta maybe I, make a few more of these, Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually have a couple uh, in the work. Um, the next film that I'm wanting to do will actually be a narrative, not a documentary. And uh, along the same lines, you know, we have it's already in development, and I'm writing the scripts that are that are taking place. So there, there's actually two projects I'm working on, and um, we are we got we, we got it rolling pushing pushing. Well, I I uh, I think it's fascinating. In fact, um, it's just from my other experience working with a lot of really super talented people. I sometimes wonder if we don't do they ever just feel like they're just being used, like white America, the football teams, the coaches come in and see him and everyone's trying to persuade uh, these Polynesians, for example, in your situation. Um, is it, do they, do they feel used? You know what? I don't think they do. They're not as, uh, I mean, I mean, I guess, so there, there's a scene in, in, in the movie where uh, the Longies, uh, Harvey's mom, uh, she asks, you know, she says, my kids need to get into the game. It's $5 a kid. I have nine kids. You know, what What else can I do to, to get them to watch? Basically, her son, who is the all-star on the field, yeah. basketball, tells her, uh, why don't you go ahead and pick up the garbage after each game? Oh, uh, wow. After, and, and I'll let you in. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> what? And I mean, like, would you offer a Caucasian family that? Because right. that's less than minimum wage for the star player that's bringing in a lot of the, the revenue. That's right. Anyways, uh, they, they, there's a Q&A. I'll just tell you this quick story. There's a Q&A, and they ask his mom whether she was offended by that. And she said no. You know, and she, she doesn't see it that way. They don't see it that way. I think um, for the kids, 
you know, we're a culture that respects our elders. We trust the system. We trust those that are put in place. You know, I, mm-hmm. I think we trust to a fault. Yeah. And, um, and I think we put our heads down and we work hard and we, we, we figure our heart and, and the innocence of, of our trust and, and our love for what we do will, it will affect everything else. And that, you know, karma is a big part of that. Um, but I feel like that's the point of this movie in a lot of ways. It's like, you, you got to wake up. You got to educate yourself on this industry that you're going into because they will use you up. They will, yeah. you have to get yours and not, I've, I've interviewed a lot of the NFL players and they're like, I wish I would have majored in a major that actually made any sense, not just to stay eligible. Yeah. That could have helped them even manage their career. Right. Right. You know, a lot of them are just trying to stay eligible and they don't even get the full college, um, uh, uh, education that they need. And, you know, yeah, that's where I wonder that because as soon as you're not, I mean, as soon as you blow a knee out and that's what I see, as soon as you blow a knee out or your eligibility is not there, a lot of times you just feel like you're just tossed. You're done. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just awful. I mean, in fact, you know, I've been doing a lot of research on junior sales story and he, he, when he first started at, at USC, he failed um, his his SAT for like 10 points, and he had, couldn't have anything to do with the football team. And it was one of the hardest times in his life. Oh, wow. Know? And so he ended up coming back, yeah. being what, what, what he became. But uh, it's tough. Man, amazing. Well, uh, as we wrap it up, uh, Tony, tell us, what is what would you say is your number one takeaway well, from, yeah, your, from your work? You know what? I think... Um, it really is is a new immigrant story, but but it, it I think it gives the voice um, of our youth. I think it gives you know the miscommunication with with parenting. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know it's it's really that there is a culture behind these players that are playing football right now. I know this is, this is kind of loaded, um, and that football you know could be a positive thing. Uh, should be used as a vehicle as long as you're the driver. That yeah. really is what it comes down to. Yeah, own it. I love that. Well, Tony Vinuku, well done, my friend. And uh, keep uh, keep up the great work. I'd love to see more of your work. We'll have you back on the show. Everybody else, go check out their website, InFootballWeTrustMovie.com. InFootballWeTrustMovie.com. Uh, looks like a great one, and I uh, can hardly wait to to have my kids see it. This uh, This is it. That's the break. We're going to take it, come back. And continue discussing more ways to influence our kids, our young men, maybe, hopefully, keeping them away from the gangs and healthy. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, when you hear about Baltimore and the riots, and if you remember, the riots were more about the youth. It was it was the youth when they got out of school. They're the ones that kind of organized and uh, and started a lot of the mayhem that, that was caused during that situation. But it's, I think this movie that Tony put together uh, in Football We Trust, it, it's probably – highlighting something that everybody needs to understand that, you know, it's not easy being, you know, young, A, but it's also not easy being a minority in certain situations and conditions. 
And we can't just tell people, well, just go get a degree, just get to school and just focus. I mean, there's culture going on and culture dominates. It leads us. And so if we want to change our society, it's it's not enough to just judge everybody else. And by the way, it's also probably not enough to just let football be the only out. Education could be an out. But what we also seem to need a lot more of are leaders, our um, parents that can be more involved, and uh, role models. One of the greatest things I think that made an impact in my life, my parents divorced when I was young. And so I, I had my dad. I'd see my dad almost every day. I'd see him at work. I'd learn from my dad. And, and it was such a great resource for me. I also had other fathers, uh, the fathers of my friends. They were always around me. I had people from my church. But I'll never forget just a young men's leader in my church group sat me down one time, and I will never forget that what he told me. He basically said, Matt, you're going to college. And I had no idea I could do that. You know, like my dad hadn't gone to college. My mom hadn't gone to college. I had a sister that was in school. Um, but I wasn't sure that was made for me. I wasn't cut out for that. So one guy telling me, oh, no, you're going. Yeah, you're, you're doing it. Just that one idea started to get me thinking and to get me going. And it seems like we need a lot more of that in our communities and in our inner cities. I also think it's important. It's not enough, again, to just blame government for all of these failures either. So be careful when you're looking for simple answers out of these more complex problems. They're complex because cultures are complex. The culture behind, as Tony was explaining, just the Polynesian culture with the love of family and the connection of family and duty and talent. Magnify your talent. It's like you're called to do these things. And um, and then the kind of the deification sometimes that we have of some of our really talented young athletes. It's a big deal. When I talk with my own kids, they'll tell me who the best athletes are in their school and there is this weird, like, deification of them where we're making them into gods. You remember that. The football star, the cheerleader. We turn them into these folklorish people. But I'm telling you, they're just humans. And a lot of times, having uh, being a human and having somebody give you all of these other perks might actually weaken you. And so sometimes as we hold up and, and put our athletes as, as paramount and the most important people in the world, we might, even though we're helping them on, we might simultaneously be holding them back. We might not be forcing them to, to learn other skills and tools. Relationship issues might be a big deal. That's what I end up coaching a lot of them on is how to just have healthy relationships. And it's not even Polynesians. It's anybody that's been a star. Because it's easy sometimes to have people love you when you're famous. So, folks, culturally, we've, we've got to work on some of this stuff. And I'm a big believer that if your kids bring home friends, you need to become a friend of those kids. I'm, I'm also a big believer that they don't always just need their dad to be the one that's there. Sometimes having any dad there, pushing back, giving some feedback, saying no, holding them accountable— looking them in the eye, it's powerful. So think about the kids uh, that you're around. Think about your children. 
do they have a shot here? Are there other lives that you could step in on and start making a difference with? Please think about it, because as uh, as Tony showed us in his film, In Football We Trust, it's there's a lot they're going through. This need for gangs and just the gentle uh, desire in their heart to go make it big and to make their family proud. Also, just the fact that there's a, they have their own insecurities, their own weaknesses. We got to solve this together. I truly believe too that's the solution we'll need to have for what's going on in Baltimore. It's not just going to be having videos of you know police cameras on every policeman. That's not the only answer. There's got to be more to it. So this isn't a legislative problem, folks. This is a human problem. And when we get down to it, most of our problems on this big ball of mud are human issues. And we got to get to them. Best way to do it, by the way, is get back to the spirit. Treat each other the way we should treat each other. We'll take a break. Hour number two. It's in the can. We'll be back. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the show. Got a great show for you today. Do you know what functional foods are? I mean, for me, it's functional if it's in a bag and it can easily be consumed while driving 75 miles an hour. That's convenient, not functional. Uh, They're not the same, huh? Well, apparently functional foods are defined as foods that, in addition to supplying nutrients, offer potential health benefits that can enhance the well-being of individuals. They affect one or more target functions in the body— beyond their nutritional effects to either improve health or reduce the risk of disease. These are healthy foods, functional foods that impact, uh, you know, the functions of your body and reduce the risk of disease and should be several um, and should be consumed as a part of a normal food pattern, not as a pill, a capsule, nor any other form of dietary supplement. Functional foods. Today we're learning about them. If And... It's not a hard and fast rule necessarily, but probably a general rule. If there's a wrapper, yeah. it's probably not what he's talking about. You mean so the apples at McDonald's? Well, that's what I mean. It's not hard and fast. Because yeah. you put apples sliced up in a wrapper. Okay. It would probably be better in God's little wrapper. If there's a bar. The skin of the apple. Or a powder or those types of things may not be so if I have to buy quite it, as functional. Yeah. Maybe that's the key. But that's not always the case either. Yeah, it so. could be, yeah. We're going to talk to the pro. It's about knowing what you're eating. That's that, my friend. That is the key. Or or as my wife says, shop the perimeter of the store, not the middle. That's right. Because the middle is where the boxes full of granola bars are. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. I'm like, but they taste so good. Uh, Ron Hager will be joining us. Dr. Ron Hager from BYU's Exercise Sciences College. He's going to teach us about functional foods, which, by the way, will be the first time something functional took place in this studio. Probably. Excellent, excellent. It's safe to say, yes. Um, Functional foods, by the way, probably not being celebrated at the biker gang conference. No. They were probably eating burgers and fries and other things. 
Which, wings, you know, wings. Wings. Pop- they were opening a new man cave with 55 big screen TVs. Really? That was kind of the event. They were holding a uh, a biker confab, if you will. Where who, who invites – who's like the marketer that says, we got to get the bikers here? Someone who needs a job today probably. Because that person apparently th- – that the, 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 the organization – The company, main company pulled the franchisee license gone. from that restaurant. Good. That should have happened. So – That's – yeah. That's just a rule to all you marketers out there. Don't invite the biker gangs. I mean, I get it. They're an easy target. <laughs> and they eat a lot. They right. love their wings. Ample parking, apparently. Ample parking. RV parking in the back. <laughs> so uh, th- that's still going on, huh? Yeah, that's still going on. They're, I, I imagine they're probably still processing the 200 or so people that were arrested. $1 million bail per person. Per person. That's a lot of bail. Yeah, I don't think that's going to be posted by anyone in particular. Uh, more information about the Clinton Foundation. I know you're yes. you're just wanting what? more. What? Uh, an investigation from the Washington Examiner finds that paired Clinton Foundation donations and State Department lobbying efforts were common among Fortune 500 companies. Really? Exactly half of the Fortune 500 corporations appeared to have lobbied the State Department between 2009 and 2012 According to lobbying disclosures from the Center of Responsive Politics, uh, they show that 55 of those firms also donated to the Clinton Foundation. Oh, boy. So then you have the, the so you make a donation and then you lobby to the State Department. Yeah. Then the question is, well, was there a point to that or is it just happened that you did both? This Are they is, connected? Who's, who's sourcing this? According the Washington to- Examiner newspaper hmm. pulled information from uh, – what was the organization? The Center for Responsive Politics. Interesting. Well, this doesn't seem like it's going to die for a while. Roughly 65% of the foundation donors among the Fortune 100 also spent money on lobbying the State Department. No, it's interesting. Now, why, pro- why would they be lobbying the State Department? Well, you, you get large companies. They sure. end up being multinationals. They need help, and then you go to the State Department to see if they can help you, and that's yeah. lobbying efforts. So it might just be... It's coincidence, but it looks bad. Yeah. The NFL and the New England Patriots engaging in back-channel conversations to see if the two sides can resolve their differences without an appeal or possible litigation following the league's deflate gate punishment. So they want to solve it behind the scenes so this doesn't get ugly. Yes. Because the two heads... They have till Friday to, f- to figure it all out. Okay. This is fun. It's going to continue. Um, if you're looking for a new job... I don't Saudi know Arabia is looking for eight new executioners. Oh, boy. They've already put 85 people to death. Yeah, they're doing a They lot traditionally of that. are leading the world in executions. One what, of the top what are the ones. requirements to be an executioner? Well, according to a job application uh, obtained by Reuters, uh, the main job requirements include conducting public beheadings, of course, as well as amputations for lesser offenses. No special qualifications are oh listed. However, because the jobs are classified as religious functionaries, the compensation would be, quote, at the lower end of the civil service pay scale. So you've got to be more service minded. Yes. You need to have a cause. It needs to be a mission for you. <laughs> Unbelievable. James, your eyes lit up at the first, and then you're like, "Nah, I guess not." Oh, well, what's uh, the future in that? The the organization that that tagline sounded yeah. kind of interesting, yeah. like you know, like Saudi Arabia leading the world in executions. Yeah, <laughs> but then you heard about the pay scale because yeah, it's a religious yeah. thing. Yeah, bottom bottom ah. end of the pay scale doesn't sound very. Appealing. <laughs> How come all the good jobs don't pay? 
It's a not-for-profit type situation. Yeah. So, uh, China just passed Mexico as the number one res- or number one source of U.S. immigrants. Really, research presented last week the Population Association uh, Population Association of America conference has revealed that China and India are beating Mexico in sending immigrants to the United States. 2013, 147,000 immigrants came to the U.S. from China. 129,000 came from the U.S. or came to the U.S. from India. Mexico sent 125,000. I'm assuming they're not coming then through that southern border that we hear so much about. I don't know what's being counted here. It just seems these are just the numbers they're presenting. So if you're worried about immigration or too much immigration, but I guess these are legal immigration, right? The Wall Street Journal notes that immigration from China and India to the U.S. has been on the rise for a decade, while sure. immigration from Mexico is on the decline. Hmm. Hispanic people are still the largest ethnic minority group in America, according to the journal. But two thirds of the U.S. Hispanic population was born in country and are not recent immigrants. That's interesting news. Who'd a thunk it? Who'd a thunk it? A Florida man. Yes. It's always a Florida a man. A story that starts a Florida man. Anytime it starts with a Florida man, prepare yourself. Foiled his own escape by falling asleep on a couch after breaking into the ho- uh, home over the weekend. He fell asleep. He broke in and then fell asleep? Yeah. He was tired. Took a nap. Well, how was that hard to get in? It doesn't go into Must detail. Must have been a lot of work. Must have been tough. Some heavy <laughs> lifting to get through that screen door. Timothy Bontranger. Pardon? Bontranger. Who? Timothy Bontrager, Bontrager. He's 29, charged with Bond. felony burglary of an occupied dwelling after being arrested Saturday. Yeah. A Sarasota resident woke up at 7.20 in the morning, found the man asleep on the couch <laughs> in the living room. The woman asked him who he was and why he was in her home, at which point he apologized. I'm so sorry. I'm exhausted. After telling him uh, she was going to call the police, he stood up, walked out around the living room before leaving the home. So kind of stumbled around for a while. Uh-huh. She later found the woman. The guy was found walking down the road nearby with the woman's wallet, which held her driver's license, credit card, debit cards. He also wrote a bunch of checks to himself <laughs> so he, he could go cash them. Okay, so he had to, a plan. He just well, fell asleep. Okay, so he came in, yes. robbed the house. She was sleeping, apparently hearing impaired, a sound sleeper. Yeah, yes. and uh, couldn't he broke he breaks in, takes a little nap, which who wouldn't? Because right. when you're tired, maybe she has a nice couch. You know, a lot of your biggest mistakes happen when you're tired. So he's trying to sleep it off, not thinking straight, right? thinking he'll get up early, get a fresh start, get a fresh start. But he had her wallet, <laughs> and then she comes out, wakes him up. Probably caught him in a REM cycle. Yeah, which so you uh, wake up grumpy. That's the worst. And kind of you know, uh-huh. not 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 so, all yeah. your wits about. That's you. why he walked around the living Stumbled room. Stumbled around mm-hmm. a while. Then he's like, "Okay, I'm out of here." And he said, "Did he leave or anything?" He like, just, uh, Bye. I, he just took everything and left. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if he had I don't know a little portion of macaroni salad before he good. went to that bed. Was a, that was another story. That was good. Well, that, I, you know, it's a maybe it's a big thing. Was that was the macaroni story from Florida? No, I think that was from. I'm like, pretty sure it's Alabama. from Florida too. I don't know. All, anyway, all, all these states blur together. But after I wouldn't a while. be surprised if while he was in there, he, he got, got some macaroni. The, salad. Yeah, he got into the fridge, ate a little bit. I wonder if he did eat. I would have taken a bath. Yeah. Because that relaxes me and helps me go to bed. <laughs> is that a the strangest bath, thing? You're, you're robbing a house and you're like, oh, I'm just going to take a nap. He had to, if I'm betting, I bet he was inebriated with something. It did not point that out. Though when you see a story that starts a Florida man, mm-hmm. usually there's some sort of well, substance especially involved. Especially if something crazy is involved like that. Right. 
Well, that's interesting. Well, and what a calm lady. I mean, in Texas, the man would be dead. Right. Everyone has a gun. That's how yeah. the state works. Well, I mean, seriously, that's like you don't come in and take a nap at my house. No. But this lady was very kind, very smart, got him out. Man, interesting. Well, uh, boy, see, there you have it on The Matt Townsend Show, bringing you the latest headlines, even those crazy ones from Florida. We're going to take a break, my friends. When we come back, our good friend, Dr. Ron Hager, right here from Brigham Young University. Uh, He's a professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences. By the way, his expertise is chronic disease, which uh, we need right now. He's going to come in and teach us about functional foods, how to be choosing uh, and what food to choose that might have the best impact on our health, our lives. This is The Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to The Matt Townsend Show. In the house is uh, Dr. Ron Hager. Ron is uh, an associate professor of exercise sciences in the College of Life Sciences here at Brigham Young University. His area of expertise is chronic disease prevention, and today he's here to teach us about functional foods. Welcome, Ron. How are you, my friend? Thanks, Matt. It's good to be here. Functional foods uh, as opposed to dysfunctional foods. Yeah, that, that's the question, right? So right. Fun- functional, the whole word has become kind of a buzzword lately. You hear things like functional fitness right, and functional movement, as if the kind of fitness and the kind <laughs> of movement we used to do was, somehow was incorrect yeah. or dysfunctional. Right. Um, so, so functional is, is like, like this buzzword, and, and I've heard all kinds of uh, you know, associations with that word, but uh, a fairly new term, well, new to a lot of people is this term functional foods. Mm-hmm. It's actually been around a long time uh, in terms of a, a term and its definition. Uh, you know, by definition, it's a food that in addition to supplying nutrients, which is, you know, I it, guess why, why people eat purpose, in general, yeah. Yeah, it, it also offers potential health benefits or, you know, protects you against disease. Uh, so it's it, like multiple purpose food. Yeah, in a sense. I mean, you can you can. It's eat, not just energy creator, right? Right. So you could eat food that wasn't necessarily good for you, uh-huh. uh, and it would provide energy. Yeah, and you know, even some some nutrient value, carbohydrate, fat, and protein, and maybe some micronutrients. But it could also kill you. But 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 yeah, if you ate if you ate enough of it for a long enough period, it would be detrimental. Yeah, to your health. So. In a sense, I guess you could call that a dysfunctional food because it's not real favorable uh, to your health. So functional foods are those kinds of foods that you could opt to eat uh, that ha- have been shown through research to provide health benefits or and or disease protection. Yeah. Now, and it could be – I'm assuming these are just very simple foods. Like, I mean, like any food yeah. that has fiber in it is probably a functional food. I mean, any, any – yeah. More natural product that has fiber in it is a right. natural, now, and and that brings up an interesting question. I think uh, for a lot of people, because you know, you just I, I just heard you talking a little while ago about technology, yeah, and uh, and the you know that uh, I, I think you said something like you know technology is not your master, yeah, you know, kind of thing. But so many people have bought into that that if it's if it's good for you, 
in any way that somehow it has to be technologically advanced. Right, exactly. So a lot of people, when they think about the best kinds of things that they can ingest for their health, they automatically start thinking about supplements. Uh-huh. That, you know, if I'm going to have optimal health, that somehow I have to get it out of a bottle. Well, that's it. it. And there's a lot of marketing there, isn't there? There's a lot of marketing that... We, we sit there and we think, holy cow, yeah, this has been processed. Scientists have been squeezing this juice out of a very special, you know, whatever. Every, it just seems like a lot of the people selling us all of these different vitamins and minerals, there's a story. They need the story and then they need the doctor and they yep. need to have found it in some far off, you know. Exotic place exotic in the world place. where no, nobody else has ever been. Exactly. But a lot of that supplement information and supplement product actually comes out of usually legitimate scientific research. Yeah. So as scientists try and figure out how f- certain kinds of foods function in the body, they identify certain characteristics like maybe vitamin E, you know, is they they, they identify it as an antioxidant. Hmm. And so they uh suggest that uh you know, having Having adequate antioxidants in the body helps control free radicals, which can damage cells and DNA, which can lead to mutations and ultimately cancer, for example. Hmm. So then the idea comes along that, well, vitamin E and things like selenium, uh, those must be really good. You know, they're cancer fighters, they're antioxidants and so forth. And so what happens is the supplement companies pick up on that legitimate information. Yeah, sell vitamin and, E. And say, you know, well, well, if some is good, more is better. How about a mega dose of vitamin E? Mm. Now, as, as that transition occurs, scientists then say, well, let's take a look at how these doses that are being recommended by supplement companies are affecting health. And they'll actually do clinical trials. And many of these clinical trials are actually cut short. So they say, you know, we're going to do this for four years, but they have to stop after two years because the people who are taking the supplement are actually getting the very diseases at a faster rate than the people who are not on the supplement. So then it goes back to the idea that these simple foods Uh that you mentioned can actually be very complex in how all of the nutrients... Uh, and chemicals interact right. together as a whole food. And that's why, you know, a pill or a capsule is never going to be the answer. It's and not, so, yeah, because it's, it's not even the natural way of ingesting the the benefit. Right, right, exactly, uh, Matt. So so, so that now the, the question becomes, well, what are these foods? Uh, and, you know, you, we call them functional foods. That's what we've called them. But I, I like to say you could call them common sense foods. Yeah. I mean, if I came up to you or anybody else and said, hey, do you know that if you ate more fruits, vegetables, and whole grains, it would be better for you? Yeah. I, I don't think anybody would yeah, act that shocked. That wouldn't shock. Like, what? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> yeah. that's what we're talking about is primarily uh, what, what might be called a plant-based diet. It's not to the exclusion of animal products or even meat. But historically, if you look at dietary patterns – from people all over the world, uh, and even here in the United States, as as recently as a, a you know one or two hundred years ago, uh, most people ate a plant based diet. Hmm. But now 
in westernized countries, you know, uh, civilized countries in, in some cases, uh, more affluent societies, there's been a transition. And these other cultures that have been studied uh, for their longevity and their health, uh, they're now finding that as more technology has, I guess, infiltrated those cultures and they have adopted what would be called more of a westernized pattern mm-hmm. in their lifestyle, it's very unfortunate. But these these cultures of longevity and being disease-free have now kind of caught up to, yeah. to places like, uh, you know, certain areas of Europe and the United States. They have the same disease rates. Do they? It's terrible. Because I guess, well, we're exporting we're exporting our brilliance. Yeah. It's, it's, so we don't eat a plant-based diet. We eat like a manufacturing plant-based diet. Yeah, part of it too. So it Processed know, foods. Yeah, yeah, I mean there's a big difference between fruit snacks yeah. you know, and the actual fruit. Yeah. But see, because of marketing and advertising uh-huh. you know, and the things you see on the box, you know, fruit snacks made with real fruit. Made with real – yeah, exactly. You know, so people think, you know, well, but, what's the difference? I can eat this fruit snack or I can eat an apple. There's a huge difference. No, I've, I've bought apples at McDonald's <laughs> yeah. and you, I paid like a dollar for what would be four slices of an apple dipped in some, you know, potion yeah. that makes it so they don't age. Yeah. And – but you sit there and you think, man, for a buck, I could have had a real apple, a whole apple. Yeah. It's, yeah. It, it, that, and, and honestly, with the best delivery system created. Yeah, exactly. So, so why do people eat so much processed yeah. uh, and refined foods? Uh, a lot of it has to do with the taste of the food. In fact, taste is the number one reason people eat what they eat. Is it? Yeah. And uh, taste, and then next is cost. Yeah. And next is convenience. Yeah, convenience. I mean, you can keep fruit snacks in your drawer where you might not be able to keep the apple in your drawer for weeks. Yeah. And so taste, cost, and convenience really drive what people tend to eat. And, uh, of course, the food manufacturing industry knows this, and they spend a lot of time and a lot of money uh, sort of concocting foods, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that that meet those criteria. Yeah. and and then when people have problems with their health, then, of course, they turn to medication. But foods really can be oh, medicine, yeah. and functional foods, uh, you know, can, can be like that. Uh, there are, you know, a person has high cholesterol levels, uh, you know, they can, they can take a, a medication, but there's also lipid-lowering properties of certain foods, certain foods that have been well, shown to Naturally lower lipids. Cholesterol, yeah. So we're talking about... Uh, you know, things like uh, certain fruits, vegetables, and uh, legumes, nuts, uh, you know, they contain fiber, uh, and they also contain uh, uh, some things called phytochemicals, uh, uh, or sometimes they're called flavonoids or bioflavonoids. These are, these, are the, these are the chemicals that scientists are just now discovering. I mean, I'm guessing probably about 5,000, you know, have been discovered, <laughs> but the estimate is that there's 100,000 that right. have not yet even been identified. And yet instead and, we just put someone on a drug. Exactly. And so there's no way, Matt, that that a pill is ever going to contain uh, all of the potential for synergy yeah. that you could find in a whole food. Right. Uh, well, in, I, in, in a fruit or a vegetable or a nut or a legume or something like that. But But there are certain functional foods that are shown to lower blood pressure. Uh, certain foods that are known to be antioxidant. Um, mm. Cranberries are a great antioxidant. Uh, in fact, uh, some studies show they have the highest antioxidant capacity of any 
Really? Uh, Cranberries? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that, you know, people ought to know. There are certain kinds of foods are anti-inflammatory. Now, this becomes a real issue when you're looking for something that's cardioprotective. You know, certain foods uh, wouldn't necessarily – I don't know if you could say they they cause heart disease, but they certainly don't protect against it. Sure. Whereas anti-inflammatory – uh, properties do protect against heart disease because the initial stages and even the ongoing uh, you know, process of yeah. heart disease is about inflammation in the body. Let's do this, Ron. Let's take a break. I want to come okay. back and get into that. So um, we've already talked about some lipid lowering, some blood pressure lowering, anti-inflammatories. We're going to come back. I mean, or we could just pop a bunch of it, you know, <laughs> ibuprofen. Yeah, yeah. Or we could have a better diet. We're talking with Dr. Uh, Ron Hager, Associate Professor of Exercise Sciences at the College of Life Sciences here at BYU. We'll be right back. He's helping us uh, live a healthier life. We might even get into uh, the Mediterranean diet because some of this is very, you know, it's, it's, it's old school. Good stuff, my friends. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. In the studio with us today, Dr. Ron Hager, uh, here from the College of Life Sciences at Brigham Young University. He's an associate professor, expert in um, in helping us avoid chronic disease and understanding what's going on with our bodies. Today, he's teaching us about functional foods. In fact, many say Dr. Ron Hager put the fun back in functional foods. <laughs> there you go. Is that right, Ron? <laughs> yeah, I suppose. But you're teaching us that in the food itself, we could go to meds and just take a bunch of uh, pharmaceuticals or whatever. To lower lipid lowering or blood pressure lowering or antioxidants or anti-inflammatories. Or we could just actually go to the food source where all of that exists. Yeah. It's already that, there. Yeah. And, and in that, its best dosage. Exactly. It's, uh, it's hard to improve on uh, – well, I mean, I don't know however you want to look at this, but, you know, it, how, how do you improve on something like an apple or an orange yeah, or right. broccoli or carrots or uh, – it, it's, a, it's a pretty fascinating thing. Now, you know, with, uh, with, the, with science – you know, a lot of people might, you know, scientists might feel like they're improving uh-huh. that because, you know, they're doing something in the lab, they're breaking it down, they're reconstructing it, they're isolating it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's great that that people want to explore and understand things all the way down to, you know, a, a, an invisible cellular level. It's great to understand all that kind of stuff, but you have to be able to bring it back out yeah. to the whole person. Right. right, because that's what we're ultimately talking about, and sometimes I just think, you know, when it comes to technology, it's just technology for the sake of technology, and yeah. nobody's really asking, is <laughs> it right or wrong? Is it good or bad? Which gets like that's it. But then the marketers could make you ask that or start thinking that certain technology is essential, even though you've never had a need for it, but everyone else gets it. So maybe some of this is just. We're so heavily marketed other ways of eating, mm-hmm. not healthy ways. Because I sit here and I think, well, that's brilliant. Instead of grabbing, you know, ibuprofen every day to get rid of all of your inflammation or whatever, why don't you just change the diet? Yeah. And yet, and see, the neat thing about the diet change too is it be, it becomes a permanent thing. So you're constantly, it's a habit change. Yeah. It's not just a pill pop. It is. It's a lifestyle. Yeah. And, you know. 
one of the biggest complaints I hear is that, you know, people say it either costs too much to eat healthy mm-hmm. or it takes too much time yeah. to eat healthy. And, it, you know, the cost issue can be either way. It depends on how you look at it. Right. Uh, you know, the cost of a heart attack is pretty expensive. It's huge. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you know, so I, anyway, I, there's lots of ways to think about how much certain kinds of food cost. But when and it some comes, of it's education, though, it seems like. Yeah, it's just it knowing what to get. It is. But when it comes to the, the lifestyle part of it, what you said is correct. It's a habit. And, uh, you know, if you make something a habit, a part of your lifestyle, uh, then it, 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 it may be less convenient, but it's what you've chosen to do. Uh-huh. It's how you've chosen to live. And that you know, can be self-motivating. It's powerful. Yeah, it's very powerful. It, it is empowering. Is this in? So then you t- you've you've talked about before. I know the Mediterranean diet. Yeah, talk about why that is is kind of a good basis, so a good for, foundation. So, so for at least fifty years, uh, it's been recognized that uh, people that live you know along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, you know, in the southern parts of uh, Italy and so forth, they have been the, the people that live there. It's been noted by epidemiologists and other scientists that they tend to live longer and they tend to live more disease-free. Hmm. So in other words, they have a pretty high quality of life in terms of their health. So when, when groups of people like that are identified at various places around the world, including these, this Mediterranean area, scientists want to know why. So they go in and they start studying these people and they found that the diet was probably one of the major contributors hmm. to this this phenomenon of uh, you know, longer life and healthier life. And so they began to explore that. And, you know, you know, olive oil, for example, is, is a big part yeah, of the Mediterranean diet. Yeah. Whereas in the United States, we've kind of been led to believe that all fats are bad. Right. You know, that, hey, oh, yeah. cut, cut the fat, cut the fat. And for at least the last 30 years, we've been on a, you know, low-fat, non-fat, get fat rid of the free, fat, right. fat-free approach. What has that done for our obesity rates? That's right. Has it? Has and they're it fixed pouring anything? oil, and they're dipping their bread in oil. I mean, it's like it's interesting. Right. I mean, right. those may not be ideal so, examples. So, so olive oil, in other words, yes, it's calorically dense, and you have to be careful how much of it you eat. But in the end, uh, olive oil is a healthy oil, and yeah. it actually has cardioprotective properties. It 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 produces a. a it's sort of anti-inflammatory. It reduces inflammation in the body. Right. Inflammation is one of the precursors to heart disease and a variety of other hmm. kinds of chronic conditions in the body. So now I'm not suggesting a person drink a glass of olive oil every day for <laughs> breakfast, but I'm saying maybe you might want to consider swapping out some of the animal-based fats that you're consuming for more plant-based right, fats. Right, right. But there is an overconsumption issue, too that's afflicting, you know, the United States and, and many other countries. So it's not just about eating the right kinds of foods. It's about eating the right amounts of the right kinds. What, what would be the foods. best gauge? We only have a couple more minutes, but okay. what's the best gauge of how much? For example, I know they talk a lot about nuts and legumes and beans. Um, what's, a, what, what's a proper amount? What's a good dose? Well, Because I could eat nuts all day. Yeah. I could just pile them away. Yeah, you could, but you'd have to ask yourself, is that really what you should be doing? Right. So it's an awareness issue, Matt. And a lot of people really, some people are, but most people I have found are not even aware Mm -mm. of not only what they're eating, but how much they're eating. Now, why would you pay so little attention to something that makes such a difference 
yeah. in your life. I mean, people pay more attention to what kind of oil and gas they put in their car right. than, than and how much air pressure's in their tires. I mean, I know people that if they're going to drive 100 miles in their car, they do a thorough check over. You know, That's they, right. Okay, I've got to make sure it's 34 pounds of pressure in every tire. I've got to make sure i got a, a proper oil and, you know, what kind of gas is in the tank. And before I go, I got to have a you know a handful of Twinkies and slam down a a, a Dr Pepper before <laughs> I hit awake. the road. That's right. Yeah, it's just crazy. It's man. true. They're, they're, they do. They spend all that time preparing, and yet we even at our lunch we don't necessarily think about it. We just order number seven. Yeah. Do you want it supersized? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, here, here's a good formula that a person could use. Okay, um, uh, a variety of food. You know, eat, eat a variety of kinds of food. You know, in moderation. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I like to tell people is balance, variety, and moderation. So eating nuts all day. Not a variety. <laughs> not a lot of yeah. variety, not a lot of balance, and yeah. not a lot of moderation. Right. So if you, can, if you can say of your diet, you know, with confidence that you have balance, variety, and moderation, and you're eating more whole grains, fruits, and vegetables, my guess, you know, is that you're going you're gonna to obtain the health benefits of, a, of, of this kind of a dietary lifestyle. I mean, and, and again... A little goes a long way. Just a little information and starting to gain a diet. You've got your lifetime to figure this out, so start today. Yeah. Learn something today, and then tomorrow we'll learn more, and then tomorrow, the next day, we'll learn more. I mean, we can start now. Anything's better than what we're doing. Yeah. Well, progress is slow yeah. when it comes to making changes in lifestyle. and We are part of a society that loves instant gratification and, and no delay. Uh, and that's unfortunate. But you know what? When you think about these chronic diseases that you may be avoiding with a certain lifestyle pattern, those are also pretty slow in developing. Yeah. I mean, you don't hear about a lot of teenagers having heart attacks. No, right. Exactly. That's been growing. But, but what you're doing as a teenager could result in heart right. disease, you know, in your sixth or seventh or eighth decade of life. So do it, something today. Yeah, it's a it's a long term process. It's a commitment. It's a lifestyle. Doctor Ron Hager, we appreciate you. This is just great feedback and, and advice. Again, everybody, go look go look up the traditional healthy Mediterranean diet. I yeah. mean, really, it's oh yeah, it's all over the it's internet, all over the internet, and use that. And then remember the three basic words: balance, variety, moderation. Great way to govern your diet. We'll have Ron uh, back in a couple more weeks teaching us how to be healthier and live longer. One of the goals of the show. We'll take a break, come back, talk to the guys at BYU Sports Nation up next, find out what's coming up on their show later in the hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is going to be the best few minutes of our lives. We're heading on down to BYU Sports Nation to find out uh, what Spencer and Jerem have prepared for their show. Hey, guys. Hello, Matthew Townsend. Hello. How are you doing, guys? Fantastic. You ready for your show? Are we ready? I saw you both doing your sit-ups, getting your abs in shape. Hey, you know, that that for a month, for like January to February, that was a real thing for Jeremy and I. Was it? And then it ended. What happened? <laughs> like everyone else in America. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, yeah, the January push. No, I did it in the fall. Yeah. Really? I did all right. Well, you still look great. I can't. Thank you. Said no one. Thanks. <laughs> said no <laughs> one ever. Townsend just said a thank I just you, said Dr. It. Matt. You know what? I've got, some, I've got an update for you, too. Okay. You ready for this? Ready. What, what would you guys say is your average attention span? Oh, man. Like seconds? Yes. Depends where I am. Oh, really? Depends what you're doing? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with you guys. I'm going to go seven seconds. 
Seven seconds. Seven seconds. Here's why. Is that, is that good? That's, it. That's actually shorter than most. Uh, okay. uh, just so you know, a goldfish has a nine-second attention span. Mm-hmm. But according to a new study from Microsoft, people now have, an, on average, an eight-second atten- attention span. We have less attention than a goldfish. Really? It's because there's so much stuff I going know. on in the Informacion world, Information everywhere. You always are interrupted. So there's a problem with that, gentlemen, because then you don't remember important things. Like your mom's birthday. Like your mom's birthday. Yeah. Stuff like that. You, you can't stick to doing your sit-up test and your drill. You, have, you can't hit the 440 numbers you wanted to. It's all about and attention. It is a whirlwind around us. That's, that's crazy. Isn't that sad? Eight seconds? When I started teaching 20 uh, years ago or so, I used to, we used to talk about a 21-second attention span. Now it's down to eight seconds. Mine, How in the world can seconds. any radio host succeed when Americans have an eight-second attention right. span? You just have to keep changing the game. <laughs> Every play random seconds. noises and stuff. Yeah, that's why That's why you guys can do, like, vocals. You make all those little funny noises. That's why your show's succeeding right there. <laughs> because we just got... You keep attention. Pandalarium happening. It's crazy. <laughs> Which is because I've heard your show being prepped for because you're, where you guys have your meetings is right behind my office. I hear your craziness. And there, that's there, an accurate description. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that lasts in that second more in that room more than eight seconds before the next thing changes, and then a scream, and then a yell, and then somebody's injured. That's a dangerous room. Sometimes it's fun to listen to mm-hmm. you. It's probably highly annoying at times. No, too. it's fantastic because then I go do my show, so I only hear the beginning. And I, actually, I don't even hear it anymore because I'm on the air way before you guys. We're just trying to help you get energy up for your show, man. Well, it's not working. <laughs> it's not working. Hey, what's going to be on your show today? Big I bet, show today. I bet something really high energy that'll change every eight seconds. Uh, it's a hero show, oh, a cool. senior show. Yes. Okay. Speaking of heroes, okay. John Beck. Oh, really? On the show. Find this guy. Yep. <laughs> we probably won't relive that specific moment because we've done that a few times with him on the show, but we will be talking to him about the importance of a senior leader quarterback for BYU football and why historically that has meant special things for ah, BYU football. Who better to bring that back, huh? He had an unbelievable senior season, so yeah. much so that he got drafted in the second round. I think it was the 40th or 44th, something like that, overall pick in the 2007 NFL draft. He was, he was up there to the Miami Dolphins. So we're going to talk cool. about the best thing that a senior quarterback brings to a football team. This is awesome. That's a great topic. Okay. And obviously Taysom Hill, he's going to be a senior. Mm-hmm. So there's the natural tie in there. And I said heroes, walk-off hero for BYU baseball last Ooh. night. Yeah. To propel them into a higher seed in the West Coast Conference tournament, Jarrett Jarvis, he'll yeah. be on the show. That's Blaine awesome. Fowler, national champion quarterback, you know. What a show. Yeah, that's what we do. Jerem, can I have you yell that thing one more time? I'm trying to remember James what Bates. happens before. James Bates. Yeah, I know. Oh, okay. Before it. What's the call before it? No Anyways, idea. when when John Beck throws it, find this guy! <laughs> Touchdown! <laughs> I was like, who's the guy? Yeah. Tell me who the receiver is. Five in a row won't happen! Yeah. <laughs> John Beck, put it in your box! Yeah, it's like, wait. <laughs> he went up to it. He went up to a range where he couldn't really go anywhere. Else. <laughs> I'm right here! I can't go any higher! 
he's maxed out. Yeah. He's maxed out his volume. That is great. Do you guys talk this way all day? No, thank No, but we do talk about, hey, when there's a big play, <laughs> is it like for the is it for a title? Is it just mm-hmm. is it against a week? Like you got to know where you're at. So volleyball, there'll be this huge bike and I'll go, ah! you know, I'll just go crazy. It's like, wait, calm. I can't down. get the words out and the energy out. Oh, that's <laughs> funny. <laughs> you guys in a are glass the, case of emotion. You two are the only two people that actually talk about how you will will do play by play. I mean, you guys talk it through. And then you probably go enjoy a really good moment of someone else. What's your favorite play-by-play call? Oh man, because I know That's you guys great, act them out like crazy. That's a great question. Like in the do you moment, believe in miracles? AD Olympics is pretty. Oh, that's huge. And he answers the question because that's yeah. kind of a rhetorical question. And then he says, "Yes." I mean, the <laughs> one that the one that rings true to me as a BYU fan, obviously, is Beck to Harleen. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not so much James Bates from the Mountain, but uh, Mr. Greg Rebell. Yeah. Um, because. That, I mean, his that was pure emotion. Plenty of time, plenty of time, plenty of time. Yeah, and <laughs> he hates that call, but it's it Does was he? it was a big deal for me, um, just because the the emotion behind it. And then the other one for me is uh, Greg Gumbel's call of John Stockton's three pointer against uh, the Houston Rockets to send the Jazz yeah. to the NBA Finals for that, the first that time. That was awesome. As a Utah, that was tremendous. Oh, you know what's funny? Because you, you could totally ruin that moment, can't you? It's all up to you. And I you did could ruin blow that moment. It. Did you do it like, yeah, you just well, demonstrated when, it. Where I watched it, I stepped in front of the television. Oh, yeah, you ruined it for everyone So there else. were, the group I was with, they they never saw it because I stepped in front of the TV as a 15-year-old. <laughs> That's what 15-year-olds are for. You were 15, I was 15. You were 12. Wasn't it, no, oh, it was 97, Six. I was 14. 96. Then. Oh, man. Oh. Yeah. Well, nice. guys. No, it was nice. 97. Spring of 97. Yeah. Don't fight about it. Okay. You're right. Friends. I was 14. <laughs> well, have a great show. Of course you will. Duh, you got all these great guests. That's amazing. You know, we just we line them up. Thank you, you earn Ben it. Bagley, our producer. Ben's the man. You guys yep. earn it, though. We, Thank you. Just so you know, we love you here on the Matt Townsend Show. And we appreciate that. I'm going to get all teary here. The tone just went, yes! Really, it went that's super it. different. It did. It did. That's, that's my love tone. Thank you. <laughs> That's how you know okay. I love it because it sounds TMI, sincere. bro. TMI. <laughs> anyway, let's move on. Hey, guys, have a great show. Remember Thanks, who you man. are. Bye-bye. Be strong. That's interesting. I never thought about the play-by-play mentality where you have to then think through every play-by-play you've ever done. I would hate that. And what if you just like, it, oh, it's going, it's, ah, oh, and you couldn't get the words, ah. Wait, what happened? Yeah. What happened? Oh. Matt, you got to use use your words, Matt. Use your words. I can't believe it. <laughs> That's classic. Cool. Cool stuff. Hey, um, you know, on the show, we love a good hero story, right? So here's another one uh, just to top it all off. You may have heard about this uh, via Good Morning America and ABC News, but an army captain is being hailed for his heroism after a video emerged showing him rush to a car that was on fire. And ignoring the danger in order to drag a man to safety, the accident happened Sunday in uh, Chatham County, North Carolina. Police said that one of the drivers crossed the center line and hit a car with two passengers. Neighbors jumped into action before the firefighters arrived. That's when Fort Bragg Army Captain Steve Voglazon grabbed a fire extinguisher and ended up dragging William Thompson out of the fiery crash. Uh, There wasn't a real plan, he said. I just had tunnel vision. 
Voglazen said. He said he credited his training with helping him to stay calm. If I had not been a soldier, I would not have known what to do. The Army has helped a lot, he said. Voglazen fittingly was wearing a Captain America T-shirt at the time of the rescue. Despite some injuries, the people involved in the crash survived. Even so, um, uh, even so, Voglazen downplayed his actions. He said, I was just at the right place at the right time. People do this every day at the fire department. I wasn't alone out there. There were at least 10 of us in the community working together. So our hero of the day, uh, a great Army captain, uh, really, again, the, by the way, that is the ultimate sign that you know he's a hero because he's taking no credit. He probably won't write a book about it. He's just going to go back to work. Also, another sign that he is a true hero, he had on a Captain America shirt. Anybody wearing a Captain America shirt is on the verge of doing something amazing. So, folks, uh, again, remember the show. The goal is to give you the tools you need to have a healthier life, healthier relationships, and to live longer. I think today we've delivered. We've talked uh, about, uh, you know, emails. We need to back down. We need to take more charge of our emails. Um, One of the big keys we were taught earlier is simply by Sir Kerry Cooper, by the way, is simply uh, you don't have to CC everybody on your emails. And you also probably ought to make sure that uh, you're not answering every email as they come in. Just choose one or two or three times a day to get your emails taken care of. Also, if you're in a building less than three stories, he gave us the great advice, walk and talk to the people that you're trying to email. We also talked about a case for football with uh, Tony Vainuku, who uh, was the videographer and the director of In Football We Trust, which just really is a great story about how to go about being heroes to your own kids. And uh, don't don't just let every goal be to get to the NFL. Let's also try to grow some really healthy young men as we do it. Um, And again, finally, our last hour, we learned how to eat healthier. Honestly, folks, that's why we do the show. We hope you've got the tools. Again, we can't go do it all for you. So you just choose something you learned from the show today. Also, if you have somebody that needs more help, special help, maybe there's one of the segments you could uh, go find the podcast and send it to a friend. We want to be here and be a resource for you. Right? Makes sense. Fairly simple. Well, that's the show, my friends. Remember, we're here Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern Time. Following us, though, remember, BYU Sports Nation is up next. Our two great friends, Spencer and Jerem. Sure, they're fun to talk to on the show, but they also put together a great uh, show that follows this one. So stick with BYU Radio and uh, and enjoy. And go do uh, something you can to make your life better. Especially serve someone else. Be a hero to someone else. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Until tomorrow, take care.